You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you tri freaks and geeks, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we go long on endurance, pull back the covers, and find out what really makes you tick. And also, we learn a little bit of Zen along the way. All right, today's episode is pretty special. I have gathered over the past week the top 40 tips of how to hack your triathlon training and racing to make yourself have a better training day, easier training day, all the little things, oh, an easier race day too, all the little things that I've learned over, let's see how many years, almost 15 years of doing triathlons and gathered into a uh, a big list, and I've broken the list down into uh, swimming, biking, and running, and then other. I think we'll probably start with uh, biking first because it's the most gadget intensive, and we can uh, have the most gains there. Biking, and then running, and then swimming, and then other. And before we get into the list, I should mention my experience so that you know these are real tips, and I'm not just some guy from the street talking about something that I don't know about, talking out my butt. I am a 15-time Ironman finisher, and most of them are self-supported. And I've done Ironman Texas, Ironman Wisconsin, Ironman Canada and Whistler and all that good stuff. But, and I've done a whole bunch of half Ironmans, many of them very hard. But a lot of my uh, Ironmans are, um, yeah, self-supported, which is its own uh, challenges. And I've also done a self-supported Ultraman, which is about two and a half times an Ironman over three days. So it's kind of like a stage race. Uh, the last day is a double marathon. And I've um, run um, a whole bunch of uh, ultra marathon uh, trail races. So a whole bunch of 50 milers and even a 100 miler. And also uh, swimming background as I grew up on swim teams and then um, also swim across Lake Tahoe, which is 22 miles, which is uh, one mile further than the English Channel. Uh, It was probably a little bit easier than the English Channel. It was kind of smooth that day, but it's at 6,000 something, 62, 6,500 feet elevation, and I was coming from sea level, and I have asthma. (laughs) So that was a uh, bit of a challenge, and I've also swam the uh, Alcatraz Strait as part of the Alcatraz Escape from Alcatraz Triathlon. I've swam 2.4 miles, all butterfly and open water uh, with a wetsuit on, which is a sleeved wetsuit, which is very difficult to get your um, arms up over your head. And I've done uh, various ridiculous things on bicycles, such as I rode the MS-150, which is from Houston to Austin on a single speed. (laughs) And I took, there's an option for the hilly route, and I took the hilly route. And yeah, so I've been doing this for a long time, and my tips are hopefully useful to you. 
before I uh, crash myself into a endurance grave, I want to go ahead and pass on these for everybody to use as you please. Uh, before we get into the tips, I also wanted to do just a tad bit of really cool triathlon news. Let's cue up the music. Here we go. All right, first thing is Ultraman Hawaii is going on. That is 10K swim, open water. And then it kind of varies, uh, something like a 70-mile bike ride right after the swim, and that's day one. And that's mostly, it's net uphill. You ride up a volcano. And then day two started today. And that, uh, it's actually a little bit cold in the morning. Everybody's bundled up on the pictures online and the videos. And uh, that circumnavigates the, uh, the island, the big island. And it is, how many miles? 170. Yeah, day, day one is actually a 90-mile bike ride. 10K swim, 90-mile bike ride. Day two is a 170-something mile bike ride. Uh, that is where you kind of get launched into space. <laughs> That's where you finally have to give up. As of this recording, tomorrow, as of this moment, tomorrow is the double marathon run. That's when people finally destroy themselves. And I was trying to think of the, the quote, Ultraman is where vegans yell at their significant others. <laughs> That's the quote that made Starkey uh, famous on Twitter. Okay, anyway, we had Bahrain 70.3. And one of my favorite triathletes, Angela Nath, got fourth. And Holly Lawrence won and beat Danielle Reef, which is interesting. And I don't know which one of the men won, except uh, Frodino, I heard, did the relay. Because I think, remember on the uh, Kona, he had a back injury or a hip injury or something like that. It had him uh, walking on the run. And I think he's still kind of babying that injury. And that's where the scene is right now. And as the show goes on, I will have more news updates. I'll jump in and I'll give a few more tips here and there about what's going on in the uh, triathlon world. Oh, the uh, other big thing is I, um, I'm on the verge of joining a gym, a new gym, a Gold's Gym which if you're not familiar with them here in the United States, it's just a big weightlifting gym. Opened up less than a mile from my house. And before I got into triathlon, I was big into weightlifting uh, because when I went off to Marine Corps military school, it's kind of like prison and we lifted weights a lot. And I found that that's what made me um, stand out as a swimmer. And so I fell in love with it because it made me a really good swimmer. And um, then as I got burned out on swimming in college, I just stuck with weightlifting. I got big, but also got a little fat. And I had to end up burning that off by getting back into triathlon and actually surfing first. But I loved the uh, weightlifting part. And as I've gotten more and more into, into triathlon, it's uh, been because triathlon takes up so much volume of your time. Uh, and there's uh, there's not I don't live close to a weightlifting uh, facility. I've uh, let my weightlifting go, and weightlifting is huge in triathlon for injury prevention. And there's uh, is this a pre tip? <laughs> a pre tip is that uh, 
you um, should strengthen your major muscle groups. What happens is as you get tired, let's say you're running, cycling and then running uses your quads, right? And your hamstrings and your glutes and your calves. But that's really pretty much in general it. Let's go with that for, you know, for conversation's sake. Um, these big muscles. And what happens is when those big muscles fatigue, that's when your form falls apart. And then you start relying on these other little surrounding muscles to kind of hold you together. And that's when you see people's form start getting all wobbly and stuff and they slow down big time. So if you go to the gym and work your big muscles, the big muscles you use in swimming, biking, and running, so you're talking for swimming, your lats, your shoulder, your shoulders, your uh, biceps and triceps, and your forearms, for example. I'm going to give you an exercise here in a, in a minute as the tips. You will um, delay your fatigue big time. And what you'll notice is, let's say you never work a muscle. Like uh, you never work your quads, which is the front of your upper thigh of your upper leg, your thigh, the front of your thigh, you go to the gym and do that for the first time ever, even though you're an awesome cyclist and an awesome runner, you are going to be so sore. And uh, only let's say, let's say you do a, um, a quad machine. And let's say you can do 90 pounds, uh, eight times, 10 times, 12 times, whatever it is. And the first time, well, the, after about two, three weeks of going to the gym on a regular basis, you're going to be up, I mean, a quick, a quick set of gains because of, um, you haven't been doing it, you know, 130 pounds, 140 pounds. I mean, you can almost double what you're doing, uh, coming from scratch, even though you've been cycling and running and just imagine that, that in that major muscle, you're almost twice as strong than what you were before. And that's the big secret that a lot of people don't know about in endurance is imagine you did the quad, the hamstring, the calves, your shoulders, your lats, and your biceps and triceps. And uh, forearm helps with the swim grip, grip in the water, like your hands like paddles. Imagine you did that and then you're basically twice as strong as you were before. And then when you're out, um, the end of the swim, you're not, you're not tired. Like your swim form stays the same. And then on the bike, you don't get tired. I mean, you don't uh, get pains and you don't get cramps because cramps is muscle overuse. And, and then on the run, the same thing. And then especially on the run, well, on the bike, you don't have to sit up. And then on the run, you don't have to walk and you don't have to uh, run the Ironman shuffle, which is this miserable experience that all of us have had uh, where you can't run anymore because you're just so beat up. Well, imagine that that's all gone because you did these big muscle groups, right? Well, that's what happens if you go lift weights and you do the, you do, do the big muscle groups because you've, you've toughened yourself up big time. Um, when I did a 50 mile trail run one time after adopting a weight routine and doing lots more leg work, I remember my legs didn't get 
usually my legs would start getting kind of beat up feeling, you know, 20 something miles in. And then I remember my legs didn't feel anything until like 40 miles in. Yeah. It's like double. Right. And, uh, and then like the last few miles I was like, Oh, <laughs> but imagine that. And so then I ended up having a PR PB, whatever you want to call it and ended up running a whole lot better and smarter and, and having a great time. And then that's the whole thing. You want to have a great time out there and you can because you're weightlifting. Okay. So that's the tip. But, um, me going and lifting weights has been, um, a logistic nightmare because the closest weight room is quite a, uh, I live in a smaller town, hundred thousand people and there's not facilities everywhere for all kinds of stuff. And, um, so I had to drive a little bit. And then once you have to drive a little bit, then you're just like, man, I don't have time for that. Right. And, and that's coming from somebody that loves lifting weights and, uh, you know, identifies as a former, at least a uh, pseudo weightlifter. I, I mean, I was into it. I liked it. And the, um, the uh, cool thing is, is I went and got a free pass for the day and they have a pool, people. And it's just a two lane pool. It's kind of a, it's a beautiful pool, but it's, you know, it's not going to be ideal, but whatever. Um, I, I'm super stoked that there's a um, gym. I'm probably going to join it. Emily's going to join it. Kai's turned 13. He can join too. And then we can go have father son time and lift weights together. I can teach him how to actually lift weights. I'm super stoked about that. And uh, because it is so close, it is one mile by car. It's three quarters of a mile if I walk because there's a cut through. Um, I can, and it's on my way to work, on my way home. Uh, it's next to the grocery store. So I did this little experiment where I went, uh, I went and lift, I swam. And then after I swam, I lifted weights, which was awesome, right? And then after that, I went to the grocery store, got groceries and turned around and went home. I did all those things with, um, I think, seven minutes of driving total. And I'm, I'm uh, big on that. I'm super excited. So we're going to hear more about weightlifting in uh, future episodes, how to do it, what to do, and how to have uh, fun doing it. Okay. Now, that's enough about uh, about my life. Let's talk about your life and the tips that can make big changes for you. Okay. We are hacking in, let's see, the bike. Okay. First tip on the bike is whenever you get the opportunity to get new water bottles for your bike, any kind of bottle, an aero bottle, uh, between the aero bars bottle, all these kinds of bottles, always, always, always opt for clear bottles or at least bottles that are uh, semi-transparent. And the reason why is if... If your bottle's opaque, that means you can't see into it, you don't know how much you've drank and you don't know how much you have left. So as you're um, sailing through aid stations, uh, you don't know to, to grab a new bottle. You're kind of doing things by feel, which takes extra time. You got to get out of arrow position to kind of pull a bottle out and feel it. Do I need it anymore? And um, the next best thing, my son got a bottle from the USAT uh, Youth Nationals Triathlon this summer. And it was blue, but it's got a clear 
um, stripe that's about a centimeter wide down one side. And that way you can see how much is left and then you still have a colored bottle. Okay, if you live where it's warm, get light colored bottles, white bottles with the stripe, the transparent side, side down the side. But in any case, uh, get clear bottles. Oh, and yeah, you can see whether this stuff's mixed up or not properly. Um, you don't know what you got unless you can measure it. And when you're out there in the heat and doing hours at a time, you need to know how much you've got because that changes your decision-making knowing how much you have left. And it's those little decisions that make or break, usually break, ruin races, okay? And good training days. All right, next one is you've got sunglasses or eyeglasses that keep sliding off your face, right? Or you just want to make sure they're more secure. Years ago, I um, had a pair of crokies. So crokies is this neoprene strap that slides um, over the earpieces. And then you have this strap that's hanging off the back of your head, right? Well, um, that little strap hanging off the back of your head, like your helmet gets, you know, it gets in the way of your helmet, all kinds of stuff. It's, it's dopey looking. You don't want that. Take a pair of scissors. And after you put your croquis on your sunglasses to hold them in, uh, to hold them in place, cut the neoprene at the tip of the end of the sunglasses. Um, you will end up with uh, these neoprene, um, I don't know what you want to call them, jackets over your earpieces that are just long enough. Um, you can make them pretty short and they will keep your sunglasses, eyeglasses in place so they quit sliding down in your face. It is awesome. It's awesome. And croquis come in all different kinds of colors. Just get them to match your glasses. You will barely notice them. Nobody else will notice them. I've worn them for years. Nobody says anything. And uh, they really work. And yeah, yeah, you're cutting up some croquis. Big deal, man. It makes all the difference in the world. And you can just leave them on your sunglasses all the time. And so whenever you pop your sunglasses on, they already have them. Um, then you can quit having stuff running down your face. And the other thing is uh, Sugru. So there's this um, packets of silicone. I'm doing this with my hands so like you can hear them. There's these uh, packets of silicone with shapeable Sugru, moldable uh, silicone in them. And after you press it in the shape and you let it air dry uh, for a few hours, it hardens into rubbery material. And I have had uh, Sugru... And it comes in colors. I just got the black because my, my eyeglasses are black. Um, I have put Sugru on my, just like those croquis. Um, but this, you can press it. It's like Play-Doh. But you can make it real thin and then put it on your glasses over the earpieces. And, um, leave it, and then it stays there forever. So I have rubberized the tips of my eyeglasses. And they never slide off my face. And after five years, one side finally came undone and broke apart uh, the, the silicone. And I bought a new one and um, a new packet and put it on there just the other day. It was super easy to do. It's actually kind of fun. It's kind of artsy, like you're playing with Play-Doh or clay or something like that. And no one has ever said anything about it. It just blends in with your glasses. It is really, really cool. All right, another one, tip three on the bike is... Plastic grocery sacks to keep your feet warm in an emergency. 
let's say you live somewhere where it's warm, like I do in Texas, and it's rarely cold enough where you actually need to cover your feet, and you haven't invested in uh, foot covers yet, or let's say you've traveled somewhere and you forgot your foot covers, or it's just a surprise, take plastic grocery sacks or plastic uh, newspaper bags, put them over your feet like socks, put your, uh, this is after you put your socks on, by the way, I guess. Yeah, I would put them after my socks. I always do it after my socks are on. And then put your, or you're at a race, right? This is another good example. Put your feet into your shoes now and then trim with scissors or whatever you want to do. You can just tear it. Uh, trim the plastic grocery sack down to your shoe level. Tuck the excess in to your shoes if there is any. And um, you have just created a wind barrier over your feet. And it works. It works so well. After all these years, I still do not have shoe covers for my feet. And anytime that it's cold enough and I'm going out for an outdoor ride, I'll just grab some grocery sacks and then uh, do that. <laughs> it's amazing. It really, really works. And um, let's say your feet start getting hot, which is probably not, you just never notice. Uh, you could just take them off, put them in your jersey pocket. They wad up to nothing, like the size of a dime. And uh, you can use them the rest of the ride. After the ride, you just throw them away. And uh, really good for uh, racing in uh, cold weather, by the way. And... Let's see, number, should I number these two? Let me see if I can number this list. Do I do uh, number children? Oh man, yeah, look at that. I just numbered your children. Two, three, okay, number four. Put workout gear out the night before. Now this is a well-known tip, but it does two things. One, it gets you motivated to uh, go, actually does three things. It gets you motivated to go um, ride the next day that you've got all your gear out. Um, two is it helps you start visualizing your ride the next day and what you're going to do and it helps you get your plan together. And three, when you uh, start putting your stuff together for a ride, Bike riding is so complicated, it is almost guaranteed you're going to you're going to realize, "Oh crap, I don't have this or I don't have that," right? Like, man, where is my helmet? <laughs> Where's my left freaking bike glove? And then uh, you'll actually save a bunch of time the next morning and have a more relaxed ride because you've put everything out where you where you need to. Oh, you know what? I just thought of one. We're going to put this on here. Number 5 this is, wait, that, that was number, uh, that was number four. Number five is um, look for glass in your tires the, um, before you go out on every ride. Um, you can prevent flats big time by uh, looking for glass before a ride because it actually takes, usually takes quite a few miles of riding for a piece of glass to work itself into your tire. And, um, so if, if you make it a habit of every time that you um, uh, go out, before you start a ride, spin your tires slowly, look for glass, pick out any glass, you're gonna save yourself some flats. I hardly ever have flats anymore since I learned that. Um, anytime you ride through um, what looks like a patch of broken glass, take your bike glove and run. let your tire run through your hand with your bike glove 
as um, as you keep riding. That'll knock uh, glass and sharp stones off before they start digging into your tire. Um, doing that on the uh, back tire is quite a feat <laughs> of, uh, of gymnastics. Uh, and also so you don't get your hand wedged into your frame with your rear, with your rear, uh, tire, but it's, it can be done. You see pros do it all the time on road bikes. And then, um, anytime you stop for water, uh, just give your tires a quick spin and then look for uh, glass in your tires and pick it out. And also in your, uh, bento box or your bike toolkit, whatever you got on your bike saddlebag, um, Keep something that's like a fingernail sharpener or something like that. That's like a small blade. You should have like a little tiny pocket knife on you anyways to, um, to pick out uh, the glass. It helps a lot to have a real sharp blade to help pick out that glass. Anyway, uh, let's see. Number six, unless you have biking bliss, unless you live in biking bliss, bike on a trainer. So... Um, there's a few people that live where they have choices of where to bike. They've got flats and they have hills. I can think of like Boulder, for example. They can ride on on a flat ground and ride on mountains. Um, but it still gets cold there. And the uh, I'm trying to think of some other places. There's a few places. Flagstaff, Arizona is like that. Um, Texas, it it's kind of nice sometimes. <laughs> uh, but um, get a trainer and have your bike set up on it. You can even get an old bike and set it up on your trainer, although it's best to have your actual real bike. And you can get on your trainer and have um, fantastic riding conditions. No stoplights, no having to slow down, no having to change a flat tire, no having to wait on other people. And you uh, can have, like, I just rode an hour and a half just a few minutes ago. And um, I stopped at an hour to uh, go check on my pool because the uh, little skimmer thing was acting weird. And then I took a whiz and then got back on my bike, right? That's the only time I stopped. And then I biked another half an hour, I think, um, with no stopping while watching Netflix. I was watching this, oh, man, it's freaking great. The, uh, the Norseman, which is very authentic Viking uh, actors and, and setting and uh, show. But at the same time, it's, it's a comedy of what, <laughs> what life was probably kind of really like. Um, and it's almost like a British comedy where uh, it's, there's just some ridiculous stuff and uh, they say like funny things and, and it's, um, it's really bizarre actually. And I like it, man, because I like to uh, be in an upbeat mood and laugh and stuff. I like comedies to keep me in a good mood, uh, especially while on the bike and uh, the Viking thing. I'm part uh, Swedish. And um, so I love the, the Viking stuff and the, um, <laughs> I don't know, man. You got to go check it out. It's really cool. There's only like four or five episodes and uh, one season. So maybe they'll bring it back next year. Anyway, so I was having a good time watching that. And on the bike, on a trainer, you can, um, oh, you have uh, just the perfect amount. You want to do a three-minute hill and then a five-minute hill and then a 20-minute hill. 
All you got to do is just up the gears and it's all there. And then you want to coast and go easy. I was talking to somebody the other day that said that they tried doing real interval training around here or in New Mexico, wherever it was. Oh yeah, she was from Roswell. And said it was like impossible. You can't do it. The only place you can really do it is on a trainer. And so many pros have gotten uh, Lionel Sanders, for example. Um, so he's your best Canadian, your best American uh, oh crap, what's his name? I shook his hand as I came out of the toilet at Whistler. <laughs> and then I thought I shouldn't have done that. Um, Andy Potts said, uh, a trainer all the time, um, really up their game. And then you go outside to up your uh, bike skills. I understand. I was big into riding outdoors all the time. You know, I was an outdoor warrior and all that stuff. So I understand where, if that's your thing, but at some point the, um, you run out of available gains and you need to uh, ride indoor. You need to ride on a trainer to actually um, peek out what you uh, can make out of your out of yourself, out of your body. Okay, then we have um, sunglasses. After all these years, I have found that the more you pay for sunglasses, <clears throat> the faster you're going to lose them. It's just like a nature, a law of nature. And the best sunglasses out there are from the drugstore where they cost 20 bucks. Drugstore, corner store, gas station, maybe. But definitely uh, we have Walgreens and CVS around here. Every time you go into Walgreens or CVS, just kind of look and try on their sunglasses. And eventually they'll have a pair that really work well that are the following. Amber driving lenses. So that kind of orangish not dark orange. Well, it's kind of dark, but not like orangey orange, but like they're called driving lenses and don't get the gray ones um, or the black ones. You want uh, the, the amber kind of rose colored ones and polarized and they're, they're cheap and you can, you can find these at the drugstore and you can buy a pair of these and they will last two years <clears throat> for 20 bucks. And then when you finally break them, your son sits on them when he hops in the car and goes, hey, dad, crunch, like that. And you're like, ah, you can just go to the drugstore and get another pair. And actually, you can go to the drugstore and get another pair like right now as a backup pair so that when you finally do break yours, you can go, oh, I got another pair. It's the same thing I do with goggles. Um, and that reminds me on the swim, we're gonna have a swim tip about goggles. Uh, but hold on. Okay. The, uh, the, the smart thing with goggles is to have two pair and you take two pair to a race and everything else like that. You don't necessarily need to take two pair of sunglasses to a race, but, um, these Amber driving lenses, polarized sunglasses that you can get at a drugstore are so good that you can have, you can buy yourself an extra pair and have it um, in a drawer in your bathroom or something like that. And then when you um, you end up breaking a pair, you can just buy another. You can just throw on the other pair. And then next time you're out, you can grab yourself another pair. All right, back to the bike stuff. Uh, Skinsake. Now uh, it doesn't have to be Skinsake brand, but I found that the best brand of lube out there was an early sponsor of Zen Yard Triathlon called Skin Sake. 
And what it is is it's lube for your crotch and wherever else that you're going to chafe. <clears throat> your, uh, your taint. <laughs> but um, skin sake is medicated. And there's a regular version, and then there's one specifically for athletes. And it's a USA company, and it just works great. Really, really, really good. And it seems to take forever to go through a bottle of stuff. So don't be afraid about buying a bottle of whatever it costs. It's not that expensive. But I'm just saying, I use some on my bike ride. And what happens is, uh, let's say you just use like regular lube that's not medicated. Oh, it was invented to um, help babies with diaper rash and to keep them from getting infections from their diaper rashes in uh, hospitals. So this is medical grade um, uh, lube, anti-chafing. So uh, when you put it on, um, not only are you preventing or majorly delaying any kind of chafing, um, if you do start to chafe and get a break in the skin, it starts working to heal it a whole lot faster. Okay, so that's skin sake. Uh, camelbacks. There is a thing with um, cycling, cycling culture, road biking, not mountain biking. Mountain biking, because it's a newer cycling sport than road biking, is all about the camelback, specifically because they don't want to take their hands off the handlebars too long to reach down and grab a bottle. So camelbacks work for them. Camelbacks are awesome. I think my Ironman PR I was wearing a camelback. So you can just loosen the straps to the max and then let it hang way down by your lower back and while you're hunched over, it has no aerodynamic penalty and you've got a ton of whatever you want, like uh, usually water, but you could have electrolytes. Uh, oh, the, the, um, the guy that won first place amateur at Kona a few years back and I had him on the podcast was... Uh, he crossed the finish line. Everybody's like, who's this guy? Because he came out of nowhere, like right behind the pros, was running with a camelback on. And because he had his like an electrolyte mix and fuel in there. And then what it does is it helps you drink a ton more water. The biggest uh, risk, along with underfueling or overfueling, is not drinking enough water and something long. And this uh, cures that problem. And on top of that, on warm days... Put your camelback half full of water in the freezer the night before uh, you go ride and you will have, uh, when you add water to it for your ride, you will have ice cold water during your hot ride and you can fill it most of the way and then you stop for a water stop. You can fill it back up with, with uh, water again and then that, there's that, that block of ice lasts forever. I use a 70 ounce uh, camelback. And on top of that, you can get a camelback in like this high-vis uh, fluorescent yellow. And that helps you from being hit by cars. And let's see, there is something else. I'll think of it in a second. Um, oh, when you store your camelback, so you get into using this, the best place to store your camelback is in the freezer. Unscrew the lid. Let's say you have no water in it. Unscrew the lid and throw it in the freezer and mold. And um, man, this is a good tip for water bottles too. Let's say you got some favorite water bottles that you like to use. Um, unscrew the lids. That way you can actually get them undone later because <laughs> when they freeze, they're going to um, be impossible to get undone. Throw them in the freezer and uh, you will actually um, prevent mold and other kinds of stuff from growing on it. It's a pretty cool tip. Okay, let's see. Power meter. All right, if you are a serious cyclist on the bike, 
Um, you should definitely get a power meter. Now they've dropped in price by half, two thirds of what I paid for mine back in the day. And um, mine is, I have a power tap uh, in the rear hub. They last forever. And, but now they have pedals, they have ones on the crank. It all depends on what you want to do. They're now costing around seven, 800 bucks. It is the best investment in cycling that you can possibly imagine because you pair your power meter with your heart rate. Your heart rate is your effort. Power meter is your output. So you can try all kinds of stuff. You can be like, okay, if I change my position and get a little bit lower, same power, higher heart rate. You're like, oh man, I'm working harder to put out the same amount of power. That's too low. I'm, all, I'm too crunched. I can't, I can't breathe. Um, but you can, um, you can drop your, your position until that happens. And you can do that with the power meter. You can measure bike rides and compare and compare them against each other. You can try something new and then go, whoa, I put out more power on the bike. Um, and because of this one change and also, yeah, you can see what position, uh, you can raise your seat a little bit, lower your seat and go, Whoa, that's more power. That's great. More power. Um, just by changing things up, you wouldn't know unless you're able to measure it, right? It's like the clear water bottle thing. And then also with enough bike rides, you will develop a power curve and Strava uh, pro, which is the edition that you actually pay for. Um, you get access to a power curve and it is the best power curve in the business I've seen so far because it's so easy to use. And what it does is it generates over all your, your past and you can change the settings past three months, six weeks, uh, year, you know, whatever you want. Um, it averages everything out and shows you what your power curve looks like. So it's like, okay, the best you've ever done is at, at 30 minutes is this many watts. And at, let's say, uh, 30 minutes is like 310 watts. And then at an hour, it's like 290 watts. And then at two hours, um, uh, you know, 250 watts and then at three hours 240 watts and you know like it, it shows you what you are actually capable of <laughs> so and you can tell because of the way the graph goes the way the line the curve goes you can easily estimate out uh five hours six hours for your ironman bike and go okay this is what i could do um for my best bike on an Ironman. And that's not including running afterwards. So let's, um, let's say it says uh, 220 watts. And then I go, okay, well, but I got to run after that. So let's just do two, let's target 200 watts. It is so easy. You can just look at it and just go, this is my, this is what I'm capable of. And it builds it automatically. And you wouldn't be able to see that unless you actually had a power meter on your bike and you wouldn't be able to use it unless you had a power meter on your bike. And a power meter on your bike, I consider it basically uh, cheating, although I do it, uh, on the Ironman because it takes all the guesswork out of the bike. You just stick with your power and then you will have... Um, Ironman is plenty hard as it is. It's got plenty of other variables. 
So it's not that much of a cheating. But, you know, um, I'm going to keep it around 210 watts, let's say, for Ironman, for an Ironman ride. And then what you do is you have your bike, uh, your bike computer showing your your average watts overall and also your watts average over the last lap. And then what you do is you um, you hit the lap or set it to auto refresh about every 20 minutes or so, every 30 minutes. And that way you can kind of keep an eye on what you've been doing recently and then also the overall average. And um, that, uh, and by the way, no, looking to normalize power, that's actually a better better thing than just regular average watts. That's a whole separate thing. But the um, that... If you have that, if you've been training with a power meter and you know your power curve and that'll tell you your FTP, your functional threshold power, and but your FTP is like the best you could possibly do and it also is the best you could possibly do and probably not run afterwards and um, your, your, um, your full power curve shows you what you've actually done out there. And it puts the date on it too for when you did that. And you could be like, oh, that day. Yeah, I remember that. That was, um, whew, man, I was whooped after that day. So no, don't go that hard. <laughs> and uh, back off of that a few percentage points. And that will um, be your what you should do on the bike, okay? And yeah, especially the, the lap on the power meter to uh, power on the bike computer. Okay, now... Let's see, headphones. So I used to use Jaybirds um, because they would last decently well waterproof wise, um, but I uh, got Apple AirPods and while they don't have the battery life of Jaybirds, they don't do like six hours, they do like three hours. Um, you can just wear one, which actually you can't do with a Jaybird. I mean, you kind of can, but they're connected, so it's kind of goofy. But the, um, the Apple AirPods, you can actually just wear one and uh, if, when you discharge one, you, like you wear one out battery-wise, you can put it back into the charging case and it'll charge back up uh, pretty quickly. And then you can just listen to one, which you're out on the bike. One headphone is probably smart anyway at most. And then uh, when that one discharges, you put in the other headphone and you can just keep rotating like this for like 10 hours or something like that. It's absolutely awesome. And they are super duper sweatproof. They really are. Um, although recently my microphone on them has kind of gummed up. Um, so I need to clean that. If anybody has any tips on how to clean that, send me an email, texafornia at gmail.com, and we can talk about it. And I'm thinking about using an electric toothbrush and just water and, um, and scrubbing the screens on the microphones on the they're tiny down on the bottom and see if that uh clears out uh whatever's emily says i sound muffled on them and um the other thing is well there's two other things when you get them uh stock if you double if you double tap on the side it's siri comes on wants to answer questions dude i ain't got any questions for siri okay <laughs> and uh, then, you know, what time does um, Freebird's World Burrito stop serving dinner tonight? You know, it's going to be all like, uh, I can't understand your question. Um, can you please repeat? No. There's a setting in your Bluetooth settings. You The double tap changes um, from pause 
uh, from that, from Siri to uh, pause play. That's one thing you got to do. Then also you can get these silicone covers. They're the little jackets, just kind of like what I was talking about with the, uh, kind of like the Sugru and the, and the uh, croquis on your ear, ear tips, your uh, sunglass tips. You, um, these little silicone covers that are pre-made to cover the Apple uh, AirPods, the part that goes into your ear. Now, all of a sudden, they're not going to slide out of your ears anymore. They're going to fit. And they have like these little winglet little things that stick up into your uh, ears a little bit and keep them in place. Now, this whole thing where people are like, oh, whoosh, every time I run, they bounce out of my ears. Nope, not anymore. And in fact, they work so well and they're cheap. They work so well that um, I've gone 35 miles an hour or something like that on the bike and they still stay in. No problem. You know, maybe even 40 miles an hour and they still stay in. Not, don't even worry about it. It's awesome. They're so freaking great. Okay. Also, along with the music, have um, different types of audio ready and available for you to use for the mood you want to create. And the way I do this is, let's talk about first um, Pandora. I use Pandora. You can get one of those other music systems, but have some channels and have like a soft uh, Buddha bar radio is one um, where it's just relaxed and quiet and that'll calm you down a little bit and allow you to be contemplative, right? So if you want to meditate a little bit, right? And then you have heavy metal or whatever to get all amped up. And then um, what I've really found is rap and um, is really good for out on the, I was listening to it while I was on the run this morning. And um, anything with big pauses. So like rap has a beat, boom, boom. And, and also down tempo has a beat with air gaps in between. And that allows you to hear traffic. If it's just a wall of sound, like Led Zeppelin <laughs> coming at you, then you will have trouble um, hearing traffic. Um, but uh, rap is really good. So this rap station I made up was uh, Common and Most Deaf. And it started playing Wu-Tang Clan in there. And that's, <laughs> that's some good shit. <laughs> so I was, I was just laughing at some of the lyrics when I was uh, running along. That's legit stuff, man. And um, then on top of that, so that's music for different kind of moods, but they're on cue, right? As you, um, oh God, there's a saying, something about mood is, uh, is your energy. You can create your mood. Um, so music helps you create your mood. And then on top of that, um, podcasts. So I've subscribed to podcasts about science, tech, Productivity is huge, huge, huge. If you're a triathlete, um, that usually means that you are type A and you like to get shit done. And there's a lot of productivity podcasts out there that will um, help you get those things done. Lots of tips and tricks on how to do it. Lots of hacks. And then, um, yeah, the Zen talks are, um, are relaxing and make you kind of think. Science makes you uh, kind of learn. There's things you didn't learn in history class, podcasts. There's all these podcasts about everything, news, all this stuff. So between all that and, oh, and then I have a subscription to Audible and I can listen to an audiobook also 
that's already downloaded in case I've got no internet connection and I can't listen to anything. Um, cause like Pandora, you know, needs an internet connection. Well, unless you get their whatever version, but my point being is anything I want to do, I have a soundtrack, uh, along with me if I want, uh, to accompany me. Right. And for example, I found this extremely useful when I was, and I want to get back into it. Oh, I'm so excited. My feet are healing up. And I want to get back into running the 50 and maybe even the 100 miler again. And it is critical to start off easy, right? This would be good for any kind of long run. You want to start off easy, especially races, and uh, not go too fast. So I would listen to talk radio, you know, like a podcast or a, um, like I said, Buddha bar or Zen talk, something like that, just quiet, soft music. To start off. And not only does that soothe you and kind of keep you going slower, it's a reminder to go slower. Then as the um, I got around to the midpoint of the race and started to feel a little tired, um, and these things are like nine hours long, and because uh, it's through the woods and all this stuff, it's crazy. Uh, the uh, rap music was a good pick-me-up and, and like just like regular rock and roll. And then like the last hour, <laughs> like heavy metal. And then like the last 20 minutes, like death metal, right? But they're all on cue. I could just hit the button on my on Pandora on my phone and change it. And then I've got that, right? And um, there's nothing like, uh, you know, wrapping up a race, listening to Nine Inch Nails and Lamb of God, you know, Pantera, Metallica. Um, pumping you up as you're finishing and it's all there available for you to use okay we have uh let's see we did airpods um woods this is number 12 uh woods make you happy uh being in the outdoors but not just outdoors on the street that can urban environments can be kind of agitating it kind of depends on where you came from but um i grew up more woodsy and uh being in the woods and on trails makes you happy so um, on occasion, if not as much as possible, go for a bike ride on country roads where there's lots of trees and all oh, the tree tunnels. That's where you're riding and the trees actually connect over the road. It's so awesome. And then if also if you can, uh, mountain biking. Um, there's no cars in mountain biking, so you don't have to worry about being hit by a car, which is a big plus. And um, although you do have to worry about slamming into a tree on occasion, <laughs> but... Um, you do a couple hours mountain biking and you feel just amazing, uh, re-energized. And it doesn't take much of a mountain bike. Let's say um, you've got, you know, your super duper tri bike and you suck all this money. And you're like, oh man, I don't have to buy another uh, mountain bike. I bought a few years back about a $650, $700 mountain bike and it is held up. Um, a James Durango. It's you know it's a pretty low level mountain bike, and I used to have like a really I used to be a big in the mountain bike. I used to have a Cannondale, top of the line, full suspension um, with XT top to bottom on it, uh, machined crank on it, all one, billet machined crank. Oh my god, the thing was nuts, so cool. Um, but I sold all that you know to kind of get into triathlon, and um, so I just got kind of a beater uh, mountain bike, 
and it is fantastic. So you don't have to sink a ton of money into a mountain bike. Um, cause all you're doing is just doing it just to kind of get outside and, um, just have fun. And, um, as things break on your mountain bike, just buy the same or buy a little bit nicer and they will break. Uh, cause mountain bike is rough. And let's see. Number 13, we've only got, uh, three more with biking, make your own fuel. So fuel can be expensive. Um, it, it is expensive. It's a dollar to $2 per gel and you can be putting down two three four gels per hour if that's if we're talking about gels so now we're talking <laughs> going out for a four-hour train ride is like going out for an expensive dinner right and this is supposed to be just exercising so why are you spending so much money um you can order maltodextrin powder which is the main ingredient zoe's coming in zoe and i went for a run this morning yes we did we ran seven miles yes we did Yes, you're getting hungry? Okay, I'm gonna finish, Zoe, I'm gonna finish recording and then uh, I'll feed you, okay? Um, recording just this bike part. And um, I think it was 70 or 80 bucks, I bought a 50 pound bag of maltodextrin online, delivered to my door by UPS in just a few days. And that is the main ingredient in gels. In uh, when they say your complex carb, all complex carb is a starch. Maltodextrin, yes, it's a starch, um, but it absorbs super fast and it, it um, is way smoother on the stomach than simple sugars. And then on top of that, you can buy the big containers of, um, they're like a pound or more of Gatorade powder. And you can combine the two, like two parts uh, maltodextrin, one part Gatorade powder. And now you have something that's not gonna upset your stomach. And it is pennies on the dollar compared to uh, buying all this expensive fuel. Add your own uh, salt. Um, I add uh, saltstick.com and uh, discount code Zintry. <laughs> and, um, and, but then also um, there's other stuff out there. Uh, Himalayan pink, uh, Himalayan pink salt. Uh, it's got a good flavor to it. You can add your own sodium, salt, electrolytes to taste. And bam, you have your own fuel for cheap. And on top of that, another option for the simple sugar instead of Gatorade powder is maple syrup, which is super cool because it tastes awesome. And the craziest thing about maple syrup, so you do your maltodextrin, but instead of Gatorade powder, you just do maple syrup. Maple syrup is non-sticky. It So like, let's say, let's like say like Coke, right? Uh, you spill Coke on something, you know how it gets like really, really sticky? Maple syrup, you spill it on something, you just add water and it rinses right off, like right off. It's the craziest thing. It makes uh, for uh, biking or you get running where you get sugary stuff on you, like so different. It's really great. Um, and plus, uh, it's, maple syrup is sugary plus like a buttery flavor. It's just, it's like you're eating pancakes the entire way. It's so good. Um, so there's that. Um, if you want to add some caffeine, uh, buy matcha, matcha, M-A-T-C-H-A, is uh, green tea. It's powdered green tea. Um, and just it only takes a tiny bit. You can add matcha powder to your fuel, and there's your caffeine. And then on top of that, matcha powder actually has uh, fluoride in it, a little bit of fluoride, so it prevents cavities. And maple syrup and matcha powder are both antimicrobial, so that helps your teeth. Uh, from being all sugary. And then on top of that, um, 
keep your fuel and your water separate. And I was doing that today. I had some hammer gel left over from, got a year ago. And so I decided to sip on that and uh, I put it in a gel flask. That way I could just sip on it like I was sipping on a gel, but a gel flask holds like eight gels or something like that. But I had this big container of hammer gel left over, poured it in there. And so I would take a sip from the gel flask um, and then put it back in my uh, running shorts and I'm running along and then sip water afterwards. And um, the tip is after fueling, uh, after taking a sip of fuel, because it's sugary, uh, follow fuel with with uh, water. It can have electrolytes in it, but just with plain water, clear water, and that'll help you rinse off your teeth. And then you don't have sugar just sitting on your teeth um, for hours and hours and hours at a time. You're constantly rinsing your teeth off, the sugar off your teeth uh, with water. And if you talk to a dentist, a dentist will tell you anytime you eat something sugary, as soon as you can, drink water and swish your mouth. And that is a major um, protective agent against getting cavities. Works like a charm. Okay, that was number 13. We only have 14 and 15 to go. Um, 14 is set a timer on your bike computer or whatever you're using and at least be sipping water on that timer. I've got a timer for every five minutes, as you heard last episode, on the uh, bike. And um, I at least drink a little bit of water and um, most of the time I take a tiny sip of fuel. And then what's going on there is you're getting the, you're getting the IV drip basically of fuel and you're not spiking your blood sugar with a big chug like every 20 minutes. People take like a gel every 20 minutes. What the hell are you doing, man? You're going to get such an upset stomach, that gel just hitting you like, Ugh. that's what people uh, get really sick. But imagine spreading that gel out over um, four sips, you know, five minutes apart and, um, and then following it with water, how much smoother that's going to be on your stomach. And then you don't get that insulin spike because guess what comes after an insulin or sugar spike is insulin starts activating. And then that spike turns into a trough and now you have no blood sugar and you feel like crap. So this keeps you nice and even Steven, even Steven, just nice and smooth. Okay. So at least be sipping water on a timer. And then on occasion, um, before you uh, do the water, do your a sip of fuel. And then, um, then that water will rinse the fuel down and, and clean out your teeth. Okay. Number 15 is if your phone is not waterproof, or if you want to make it more waterproof, put it in a Ziploc bag. If you have a normal to smaller size phone, um, smartphone, it will fit in a snack size. They make these Ziploc bags that are about half of a sandwich size called snack size Ziploc bags. And you can, um, the, the cool thing is, is your screen will work through a Ziploc, but you didn't know that. You, uh, I had an iPhone 5, which is um, not waterproof and used it for four years or something. I don't know if it's four years, three years two years, three years in a Ziploc, never had water damage, nothing to it, all that I've done. Um, and the screen works through the Ziploc plastic like it's not even there. And now your phone's waterproof. Isn't that cool? Pretty cool. And it works out um, if you want to, uh, uh, you just kind of like improve the waterproofness of your phone just in case. You're going to go whitewater rafting. <laughs> 
put that sucker in a Ziploc, and then if it drops in the water, you're gonna go to the ocean. If it drops in the water, you've got um, a uh, it's water it's more waterproof. This is if your phone's already waterproof. Now it's even more waterproof. Plus it has a little bit of air in it, so it'll take longer to sink to the bottom. You got time to jump in after it. All right, that is all from the bike. Oh my gosh, that was plenty. That was uh, 15 things, and we're gonna take a little bit of a break here, and we will come back with tips for the run. Hold on just a second. All right, we have changed locations. We are now outside of Gold's Gym. I'm gonna talk to you for a second about what I did in there, but first, let's talk about this episode's Bike of the Week. Here we go. All right, this bike of the week is the most, I don't know if it's advanced, but the most expensive <laughs> triathlon bike out there. The joke on slow twitch is that only dentists can afford it. Oh man. And the, uh, the funny thing is, is it's actually not so much about that bike because I don't know. I think that bike's a little bit out of reach for everybody. Even the most uh, wealthiest dentist may say this bike is too much. And uh, the real reason I mention it is some handlebars came out that replicate the big thing that this bike can do. And this bike is the Cervelo P5X, I believe. It came out about a year ago uh, in time for Kona. And the thing is ridiculous. It's the Flying V which is uh, both good and bad. That beam coming off the back, it's missing the seat tube, right? That completes the, uh, the tube that comes down to the bottom bracket. So it looks like a sideways flying V flying through the air. Uh, you look like Randy Rhodes and uh, Ozzy Osbourne riding around on that thing. It would be cool to get one painted like the Randy Rhodes guitar, wouldn't it? Blue with uh, white polka dots, I think that thing was. But anyway, the, uh, the thing about it is that it's also insanely adjustable. Uh, another high, uh, another high point was designed by Steve Head, HED, famous, famous uh, aerodynamics designer. And um, we'll get to the aerodynamics in a second. The the um, the thing is, it's insanely adjustable, and it's one of the first bikes with uh, disc brakes on it, I believe. But you can take it apart and put it back together really quickly with a uh, minimal amount of tools. And the really wild thing about the front end is that the handlebars come up adjustable wise, a lot like a uh, seat post. And so you loosen, it's either one bolt or two bolts, maybe just one bolt. And the, I wouldn't really call it a stem, it's kind of like a virtual stem that uh, the handlebars themselves stay in, in place, but the stem, uh, the part with the elbow pads and the uh, narrow uh, arrow bars uh, that stick out longest in the front, that whole assembly comes up and then you can uh, tighten the bolt back down and then it stays in place. So let's say you wanna adjust your height by um, a centimeter or two, right? You wanna try something out then dude mid-ride <laughs> with just a quick 
uh, adjustment. You could adjust your bars. And let's say that uh, you want to do an Ironman and you want to stop halfway through the ride and raise your bars a little bit because you're tired of being super duper arrow. You could totally do that. Like the fact that it doesn't adjust uh, with a with just like a lever, like uh, what are those called? Those dropper seat posts would uh, would be like on mountain bikes. That would be really cool. You could just raise and lower the arrow bars as needed. Um, you you got a tailwind, so you don't need to be super arrow. So you'd like like a little lever you could press and then the bars you could pull them up a little bit wouldn't that be kind of cool you want to get like super low because you're going into a, a really bad headwind or you're going downhill then uh drop the bars a little bit more extra but then that's not sustainable so you, you raise them back up again that would, wouldn't that be cool somebody build that anyway that is what uh the p5x's aero bars can do they also break in the middle on purpose and um fold so it's it's even easier to pack your bike and you know all that good stuff anyway that was a year ago and oh the bike is like 15 grand or something it's ridiculous and the the news lately just like last week tri-rig t-r-i-r-i-g came out with handlebars that you can use on your bike that are almost identical to these. They have a post that comes up in the middle and you can um, adjust that post height just like a seat post height up and down really easily. So go check those out, the tri-rig handlebars. So if you want one of the cool features of the P5X, but you're not a dentist and you don't have 15 uh, grand to blow, Apologies to all the dentists out there. My stepdad's a dentist. No, stepfather-in-law is a dentist. One of my favorite guys uh, is a dentist. I love this guy. Anyway, I'm not being anti-dentite. You go check it out. And at tririg.com. And we should give a uh, shout-out to the sponsor of this segment, VeloSurance Bike Insurance. VeloSurance Bike Insurance. David, or Dave, Dave, at VeloSurance.com. Email him. Get your bikes insured. You might have invested a lot of money into a race bike by now. And carbon fiber is what everything's made out of lately. And carbon fiber and aluminum. And uh, the only thing that doesn't seem to respond bad to crashes is steel. Everything else, you hit the pavement, bike shatters. It is bad news. So you want to get back on your bike as soon as you can get bike insurance. So I checked with my insurance company and before I got Velo Insurance and they did not cover bikes at all for stuff that you actually do with a bike. They cover bikes as if you're not ever going to ride it. (laughs) Like, Somebody breaks into your house and steals it. Okay, now it's covered. But, dude, I need my bike to be covered if I'm out riding my bike and I do what I did one time where I was riding with one hand sitting up and it was a hot day, so I'm sweaty, so the the uh, I don't have as much grip. And I'm being a triathlete, so I'm practicing riding without gloves probably. And this was a while back. And I hit a lump of asphalt or concrete in the road that I couldn't see because it was the same color as the road. You know, there's like when they pour the road, sometimes they leave drippings behind. So it's just like a bump, but you can't see it. And I hit that thing and I went airborne 
probably a foot into the air off the ground and sideways. And then when I hit the ground, it's what they call a yard sale. Just everything on my bike, which was a lot of junk because I was on a long training ride. It's like a five-hour training ride. It was like everywhere all across a highway, a 70-mile-per-hour two-lane highway. And I had to, uh, one, check myself to make sure I wasn't dead. And then two, um, scramble and pack up all my stuff. And uh, can you imagine how much damage was done to my bike by that? That's like, like somebody just picking up your bike and slamming it into the ground, you know? And also, if you're uh, traveling with your bike, bike insurance covers that as well. So Velo Insurance Bike Insurance is a bike insurance company that is run by cyclists. So they insure your bike based on what you do on it, specifically for racing. There's a lot of insurance companies that won't insure your bike if you race it. Well, it's a racing bike. That's what it was meant to be. So email Dave at Velo Insurance com and ask him for a quote get into a conversation with them ask them uh, tell them how you ride your bike and they'll figure out the uh, the best coverage for you they do stuff like if you travel even i think if you go out of the country they uh, offer uh, packages for that as well it's really great stuff i remember i got it for when my uh i went to canada and my trek uh, speed concept was brand new and i was like dude, this thing gets smashed while I'm flying. I'm going to be so pissed off and I don't have money to buy another one. This was it. This is all the money I had. So that's where Velo Insurance came in handy. Velo Insurance came in handy. All right. So check them out. All right. Let's uh, get back to our our run tips after I just make a little mention here of Gold's Gym. Uh, You know, any gym, weightlifting. But one thing I forgot, I went and ate. Uh, Mad Taco, which is a really good Texas taco kind of joint. And I had green chili chicken and sh- and all, one taco of that and one taco of blackened shrimp. Oh, so good. The cool thing about small tacos from gourmet taco places is they tend to have lots of veggies and fiber on there. You know, you got your onions and your pepper and cabbage and stuff like that. It's really good for your guts, man. And, uh, but now... I've, uh, oh, and guacamole, right? Which is really good for you. Well, guacamole's got fat. Like, I just ate. I ate chicken and shrimp and guacamole, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm like, got meat and grease in my guts. This is not a good time to, quote unquote, work out. Well, it's actually not a good time to, quote unquote, work out endurance aerobic wise, but it's an awesome time to go do anaerobic, like lift weights. And I was like, yeah, I forgot, man. I'm so used to uh, triathlon training. Where if I eat, I can't work out for like an hour at least. But with weightlifting, you eat, you can go work out um, within just a few minutes. As soon as you can wipe your greasy face, you can go in there and uh, lift some weights. And on top of that, uh, you can lift pretty heavy. I was doing squats. As long as you aren't lifting as hard as <laughs> these people that you see on... <laughs> weightlifting competition videos on YouTube where they they uh, they lift something so heavy, they spontaneously vomit. And that is crazy. You got to look at it. Uh, lifting till you puke or girl throws up, girl pukes lifting weights, guy pukes lifting weights. Uh, go check out some of those videos. Those are pretty great. Anyway, I did, um, I don't think in this order, uh, bi- biceps, triceps, 
And those were uh, biceps was free weights. Triceps was a cable machine. I did uh, bench press, but I haven't done bench press in so long that I did a machine. That way it kept it more stabilized instead of free weight bench press. But the arms were independent of each other, which was nice. And then uh, squats on a machine. And if, if you haven't done anything in a, in a long time, it's best just to start off with a machine and then get crazy with your free weights and all that stuff as you, as you kind of strengthen up a little bit. And then um, what I really like is cable. Cable is kind of like is a mix of machine and free weights like together in one. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful idea. And then uh, uh, something that you may not see people do all that often, but it looks great when you start getting results from it is shoulder shrugs. So I'm talking like really heavy hand weights. So I was doing 80 pounds uh, per hand, which is like was that 160 pound uh, barbell is the equivalent, but I'm doing 80 pound dumbbell in one hand and 80 pound dumbbell in the other hand. You pick it up, you can barely pick these things up and then stand back from the weight rack and then shrug your shoulders, try to lift your shoulders to your ears. And what that is building, you get, you'll suck at it the first few times. And then after a while, you kind of figure out the movement. Um, what this is building is one forearm strength because, oh my God, holding on to these things is tough. But the other one is um, the muscles. When you see somebody that looks like a meathead <laughs> is where their their neck kind of goes from their, um, their jaw or like their ears down to their shoulder blades. Well, this helps build up those muscles. Uh, the tops of your shoulders and the back of your, the back of your shoulders up to your neck. So it makes your... Um, it makes your visible part of your body when you're just walking around uh, bigger and thicker and it helps you build those bumps, one big lump on each side that uh, when you see those on somebody, you're like, that dude is strong, right? Because the only way you get those is from lifting really heavy stuff, really heavy stuff up and with your shoulders and uh, that's how you do it. They're called, some people call them shrugs. That's what I call them. So I did those today. And man, it felt really good. I could feel when I was doing squats that my knees were kind of unstable. So I was glad I was on a machine. Oh, and then another thing is when you uh, log your uh, weightlifting workout, log what you did. And then that way, you um, the next time you go, you can go look at your uh, last time and don't do the same thing last time. You know, you can alternate. You can go twice as often, you know, 20, 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes to go lift weights. Uh, if you, on one day you go and you do the certain muscles and then the next day you go, you do these other muscles and then, um, you never do too much and then you've always got a reason to go. Uh, but you do have to keep track of what you did so you don't do two things and, uh, it's not really much, not much use in doing things, uh, back to back days. But anyway, all right, that's enough of Brett's weightlifting adventures. Let's get back to the important part of the podcast and let's cover our hacks and this time for running here we go all right we are back i am in my kitchen i just finished a long run and i'm super excited because i am now back to i did 12 miles which is pretty much with like rare exception like your longest 
long run that you really need to do for pretty much all sports. Now you're doing some kind of ultra marathon or something like that. Then yeah, you know, you need to go out and knock out a 20 miler. And I mean, that's like for training for like a 50 or a hundred miler. That's um, on rare occasion. You don't really need to do stuff like that. And then, yeah, some people like doing 15 to 18 miles to prepare for a marathon. But the basic minimum for your long run is 12 miles. And two years ago, uh, fans of the show might remember that I had two things happen. I did a self-supported Ultraman and that tore up my feet with plantar fasciitis and I've been battling that and trying to uh, continue working out while healing at the same time because I'm the personality type as many of you are, I bet, where um, if you don't exercise, actually you get kind of depressed. And so I kept trying to figure out ways to um, exercise and and continue healing the plantar fasciitis at the same time, which is extremely difficult to do. And I'd already signed up for Ironman Canada, which is a hilly race, which I learned over time is like the recipe to make plantar fasciitis uh, worse is hills. And also two years ago, I uh, shortly after doing the ultra baby is what I called it, self-support Ultraman, the, um, I was running a couple months later in the dark and tripped over a chain that was strung across the road that I didn't see. Put my arms out in front of me as I hit the ground. I got a message from Emily. Oh, they're already headed home. That's cool. And I, um, they're out of town. And uh, I got an injury that is typical of people that have been in a car wreck is where you... Um, Put your arms out in front of you and then it slams your joint because your arms are outstretched. This happens to people putting their arms out on the dashboard of a car in a head-on collision. And it, 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 it jams your forearm bone into your upper arm bone, whatever those are called. And the joint capsule, which I didn't know existed, around your elbow joint explodes and that means it ruptures. Apparently there's like some kind of, I don't know, soft tissue, semi-soft, uh, semi semi-hard tissue around your elbow joint. And when that explodes, it, um, it creates all kinds. One, it is one of the most painful things that you can ever experience. That's how they diagnosed it. They said, how bad does it hurt? And I said, I wanna die. And I'm about to throw up from the pain even though I'm not moving. And they said, yep. <laughs> And now to try, try to straighten out your arm and you can't straighten out your arm at all. And that's all the, um, eventually, well, it's the damage inside that joint. It's kind of like an angle joint, like getting something stuck in a door jam. You know how you can't close the door all the way uh, because there's stuff stuck in the door jam. Well, you've got inflammation and fluid in there and then eventually, and probably bits of tissue. And then eventually you have, um, scar tissue and they said you will never be able to straighten out your arm all the way again which is pretty true and um uh you you're gonna need a lot of therapy okay so it made swimming so painful and so bad and so slow and so frustrating that 
Oh, and at the same time with that, I had scheduled because your best tattoo artist in, in town or in your area usually has a backlog. And I had scheduled this big tattoo on my right shoulder and my right upper arm um, of a crashing wave, the Japanese crashing wave and a, um, a Japanese uh, tiger. And they represent water and, and overcoming fear and um, strength, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. I find it's better to do symbolic tattoos than actual like brand names or things that are very, or like somebody, like a girlfriend's name, <laughs> because um, those things can change. Like Iron Man got bought out by a Chinese company and uh, you know, Iron Man's a corporation. You get mad at a corporation, but symbolic stuff that's um, more vague is uh, more translatable and more interpretable, if that's a word, to the bigger picture of things. And then so your, your, your tattoo is like timeless, right? So I've got this big tattoo. It's got Mount Fuji on the back and it's all, it also has to do with Zen. And it's a beautiful tattoo and oh my God, that hurt. That took three sessions of, or maybe four sessions of three hours each. And it just feels like somebody's constantly put a cigarette out on you. <laughs> that was a, uh, pretty painful. But um, after each one of those sessions, you can't swim either. And those sessions are spaced uh, several weeks apart, even like a month or two apart. Um, that way it can heal. And you can't swim either. So I had this triple whammy to make a perfect storm of not being able to swim. And I never really complained about it on the show. Uh, because it's not worth complaining about. But what that did was it made me, um, the only options I have is biking and running. You can't get in the water because you'll get an infection. And about the time I was getting my tattoo, there was in the news a guy that had a, gotten a tattoo. And then in Galveston, he got uh, he went surfing and he got flesh-eating bacteria and died. And so, yeah, you don't want to get in the water uh, within two weeks of getting a tattoo. And if I had... Um, if I had not gotten, not broken my arm, not gotten the tattoo, then I could have spent a lot of time swimming and uh, taken time off from running and biking and felt pretty good and let my plantar fasciitis heal. But the fact that all I had left was biking and running, um, I did probably, that's all I had. So I would just continue doing that. And that wasn't allowing things to heal. And then eventually uh, my arm got better enough where I could start swimming and take a little bit of pressure off that. But then we had Ironman Canada coming up within the year, uh, nine months. And so I needed to keep training for that because I didn't want to, you know, ruin my experience with that. And that just made things worse. So bam, that's where I ended up with all this. But back to my run today, uh, learning way too much about plantar fasciitis and how to heal that. I am now the foremost expert, I believe, in how to recover from plantar fasciitis while not getting depressed because you've quit working out. But so while you can keep working out, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, it's a burden that I bear <laughs> that I'm not an expert in this. I'm back to a 12 mile run today, two years, almost to the dot, 
of having being so injured that I was a complete mess and could only run a mile and on completely flat ground, maybe two miles on completely flat ground, and then would feel like a nightmare the next day when I got up. Now I'm up to 12 miles and on outdoor terrain, just random hills and stuff like that. I'm still keeping it kind of relatively flat, but that's it. I'm, I'm super excited. It is 12 miles is the distance that, you know, that's, that's your safe spot for a long run. And um, yeah, some people will do more or whatever, but that's the breaking point of now we're into, that's all I need. And it's just like, well, the 12 miles I don't really need to do more than 12 miles. I can make the 12 miles harder. I could go faster. I could add in more hills, you know, stuff like that. But 12 miles is it. So mentally, I'm like, wow. I finished that run today. Um, the last mile started to hurt, but not in my plantar fasciitis. It just hurt because my longest run was 11 miles previously uh, yesterday. Now I did 12 miles after running 11 miles yesterday and then biking like 20 something miles. And I'm, uh, I'm there. Like I'm super, super happy. And to some people that sounds like that's an absolute crazy, um, distance, but you got to remember everything's relative. And, um, I came from actually doing more than that. <laughs> so I'm happy to be back to what's considered like decent, you know, and, uh, nine and a half minute mile, nine twenty seven mile pace. So that's, um, that's sub 10. So that's just a nice jog, uh, no urgency, just kind of doing things. And uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. Let's move to uh, somewhere with a little bit better audio quality. So while I was looking at my run, there was times I was running, if you take out the hills, it's, uh, Strava has this nice thing where it'll show your how fast you went if it was flat ground. So it was a 920 pace, I believe, 922. But anyway, uh, we're gonna switch up from the running thing real quick. I wanna record, since I just did this, the uh, overall segment, and then we'll get back to running because there's a couple things in here that I wanna get to you. I'm motivated, I'm moving around the house, hold on. I'm motivated to get to you uh, earlier so that you have them. Mostly because I was looking at my Strava thing. And let's go ahead and start with overall. I got like six things. Hey, Zoe. I got a dog in my face. Hey, babe. Babe, go over there. Just sit, sit down. Yes, I'm right here. Yes, I taste like salt. No, you can't get on the computer. Go away. Go away. I love you. Go away. I can't help you. Oh, I bet you're hungry, huh? You refused to eat breakfast, so I put it away. Now look at you. Now look who wants breakfast. Okay, let's see my list. Oh, and uh, when I came in, there was a really cool video posted on the Ultraman Facebook page. I retweeted it. I'm Zen Trap on uh, on Twitter of the start of the Ultraman run, the double marathon. And I bet by the end of the show, because um, I got a bunch of things to do today, and we'll record the end of the show. Uh, we will have we will have official numbers on how everybody did. They started in the dark with a conch, is it conch, conch, uh, shell blowing that sounds like a trumpet, you know, and running off into the darkness. And some people are already, <laughs> in fact, most of them, um, you know, doing the Iron Man shuffle right from the beginning because they're uh, kind of beat up because they're on day three. Anyway, overall things, 
so Strava did something that most people absolutely hate and got rid of their chronological feed. And you're like, what's a chronological feed? And it's because it's so normal that why would you change it? And that mean, that means that um, you see the thing that somebody posted last. And there's, and I'm going to give you a tip to get around this. They, um, and so like one day you open up Strava and it's got somebody ran something, right? And you're like, oh, cool. And then you ask them, wow, how was that run? I ran something like that today too. And then they reply back to you, oh, I ran that like two weeks ago. And then it gets annoying, right? Um, but, and what it's doing is Strava is, is um, putting at the top of your feed of the people that you follow, like things that have more thumbs up and is more popular, I guess, or something like that. And it is so stupid <laughs> and such a pain in the ass because it makes you have to put in more effort because the way, okay, like Facebook, maybe, I guess, you know, and Twitter can be like, oh, these are important things or whatever. But with sports, especially endurance sports, it's what the person did today or yesterday that actually you're looking for. You already know what they did that was big a couple of days ago or like a week ago or the, the big thing. And to um, put things out of order makes you have to spend extra calories and extra thinking power to go to go double check the date and then try to think like, did they do this? Did they do something else since then? And it's such a pain in the ass. And um, there's uh, even a hashtag or people are complaining. It's, I think it's like Strava Chronological to get them to cut this crap out. Um, and basically it's for advertising to have the most popular thumbs up or commented or whatever their algorithm is, stuff at the top. So, I mean, that works on Google results, right? To find out the most accurate and popular article on who was the dictator of Italy during World War II, you know, like the best article on that. But to, to find out people that you follow, um, like what's going on right now, of course you want things in chronological order and you're not trying to outrank somebody else with popularity. I follow people because I like them, not because they're popular. And and some of the people doing the most amazing stuff aren't all that popular anyway. And how are you going to find them if, if your feed keeps getting uh, nailed with... Uh, <laughs> imagine Justin Bieber or something like that trying to go out and run a mile or something like that. It's going to be at the top of everybody's feed and we're all going to be like, what? Stop it. But anyway... There is an add-in in Google Chrome called Stravini, S-T-R-A-V-I-N-I. Let me pull it up. And it overrides Strava's stupid algorithm and puts things in chronological order. And if I go to the front page of Strava, which is taking a second because I walked out of where the Wi-Fi is the fastest... I um, I see, um, you know, the, the big bar across the top, you know, Strava, Dashboard Training, Explorer, Challenges, and this other thing called Stravini. Oh, it's hashtag bring back chronological. <laughs> and if you click on it, it'll tweet it. And then um, 
then the sub bar under that, it has activity feed, following, filter, and then sorting. This is what Stravini adds in, sorting, chronological. And that allows you to, um, and you can change it from chronological to Strava algorithm. And leave it on chronological and you can see the most recent thing. Um, oh, that was the other thing is like, I just finished a run, right? And if I switch it back to Strava algorithm and I go to uh, my activity feed, we're gonna let it see what it does here. Even though I just finished my morning run, I am the last person of um, everybody, then it's got uh, this other guy I know uh, before me. Um, it's got Rich Roll, who's uh, famous um, and verified of some sort on Strava. What? Anyway, um, Rich Roll, his bike ride yesterday at nine in the morning is now ahead of mine that I just did just right now. And you know, that's fine, except I wanna go look at the one I just did right now. <laughs> I don't wanna like scroll down and try to find mine buried somewhere or like hidden completely because his is more popular. I wanna see what I did and go look at my numbers and stuff like that, right? Okay, so that's the uh, Strava plugin that brings back chronological order. And that's called Stravini. And you can go to the Google Chrome uh, plugin area, plugin store, and add that in. That is a huge thing to um, make your life a whole lot easier. And let's see, we have on the uh, one big upgrade I did to one of the biggest upgrades that was relatively inexpensive, I did to my training cave. We got a treadmill and bike trainer in the uh, in the training cave. Uh, which is just a converted bedroom, small bedroom, um, was to um, buy this remote fan. So it's a standing fan, and it comes with a tiny little remote control the size of like a little iPod or something like that. And it's only got three or two buttons on it, and one is the remote power on the fan. So you leave the fan plugged in, pointed at the bike or the treadmill, and then um, a lot of times you get on the bike and you want the room cool or cold anyway. So you get on the bike, you do not want a fan on because you're not hot yet and it's miserable. And then let's say, um, then you want to start the fan. Well, you got to get off your bike and go over and turn on the fan or get off the treadmill. You got to stop everything, go over and turn on the fan and then hope you got it on the right setting because you don't really know until you start going again. And then you could get off the bike or the trainer again and then go over there and adjust it up a notch because you know they usually have like three speeds. I found on Amazon <laughs> this fan that is uh, a remote control and it does on off and it does the, different, the three different speeds. So while I'm biking or while I'm on the treadmill, I can reach over and grab the remote and turn on the fan and also adjust the speed. And it's those little things. I think the fan was like 40 or 50 bucks. But it's those little things that um, is uh, so like duh and so simple that makes triathlon training so much easier 
um, that you really ought to look into. And I remember I've showed a couple people um, that have come over and visited and they were like, uh, they just want to tour the house. They could be triathletes or not or something like that. And they're like, wow, that's cool. You had a bike set up and everything. And I go, yeah, check this out. I'm on the bike. I want to turn on the fan. And I got the little remote by my hand. I just keep it next to the bike. And I, I click on the fan and they're like, whoa, that is cool. And I'm like, I know, dude, it's so rad. It's so awesome. So that's a, a easy upgrade to your training room, training cave. Okay, now another one is in the world of social media, um, posting everything to social media is a huge pain in the ass. And it's um, annoying and you're not even really that into it. Like, for example, I don't like Facebook. I think Facebook is a, you know, a knockoff of MySpace and it's just annoying and all that stuff. But if you don't post on social media and let's say you have a business like a podcast or a coaching business, it appears like you haven't done anything. So it's that big joke. I was posting my pictures of me um, uh, paddleboarding the other day and this guy that was with me was like what are you doing and I go you know that joke like if you if you didn't post it on social media it's like it didn't exist he's like yeah and I go unfortunately that's kind of true because uh, my social media profile is um, can because of what I do it needs to have lots of these things on it so I'm missing an opportunity to uh, promote myself um, now if I don't post, you know, the picture and stuff from it. Now, a lot of us are not in that, are not in that situation. We're just, you know, like a regular Joe job, you know, we're not trying to post anything on social media and stuff. So this doesn't really apply to you. But if you need to post stuff to social media for whatever reason, you got sponsors or something, or you just want to keep everybody connected. Um, there is, uh, and also you want to upload your training. I have found out um, two different things. Let's do um, social media first and then how to post all your training stuff. Um, you can set your uh, social media posts to um, auto post to other things. So you only have to post in one place. And if you rank them and you do them in the order of one posting to the other um, based on what's most important to you, then you can actually... Um, uh, uh, have things show up on one thing and not the other and it really works well. So the way I've got it ranked is I have Instagram. So Instagram automatically posts to Twitter and then I have Twitter. So it automatically posts to Facebook. And it's really funny because people go, you post on Facebook all the time. And I go, no, I don't. <laughs> I never post on Facebook. What I post on Twitter or what I post on Instagram goes to Facebook, right? And the reason is uh, that I have it working is Instagram is like the least um, content full, uh, particular like full of information. It's just a pretty picture, right? So if I post to that, then it posting both to Twitter and to Facebook is useful, right? Because Twitter and Facebook are good for whatever you post to Instagram as well. All right, so I, poached, I uh, took a picture of um, me running with my dogs yesterday um, on Instagram. Well, it's nice that I just posted to Instagram 
And then the settings in Instagram automatically posted it to Twitter. And my settings in Twitter are anything that gets posted to Twitter automatically gets posted to Facebook, right? So this one picture, just because I posted it to Instagram, gets posted to Twitter and Facebook. Okay. And because Instagram is usually just like a sentence. It's a picture and a sentence, right? Nice day running with my dogs. And the... Um, the next thing is, let's say I don't want to post a picture. I want to post um, a link to the, um, to the stats board to Ultraman that's after day two, the leader stats, right? So that's just a link. And that I will post to Twitter. And because Twitter, my Twitter feed automatically posts to Facebook, it also gets posted to Facebook. And that's because this is just a this is just a comment on something and a link. And now it doesn't go the other way. I don't have Twitter posting to Instagram because that would be stupid because it's not a picture. It's only, you know, a link and some comments. And on rare occasion I'll post a picture to Twitter, but usually I've learned to do pictures to Instagram. And then um, that link gets posted to Facebook. And so now it's on Twitter and Facebook, all with just one post. Now, the, um, the other way is um, if I post, I'm in this Boy Scout troop and we have um, a closed Facebook group, I'll go post on that Facebook group, you know, hey, we got a meeting tonight and bring this and bring that. And this is the agenda, right? It's because parents and family stuff and social groups are bigger groups are like bigger news than Facebook. So it just goes to Facebook. That's it. See how all that works? So top down is, but least important to most important is least content to most content. Because on Facebook, you can write like freaking paragraphs of stuff if you want. And that's what I do. I post uh, the agenda and the, we have a kid that's a scribe and he posts his notes and stuff like that. I post that it's huge content um, directly to Facebook and then it doesn't go backwards up to Twitter or backwards up to Instagram. I'm a big fan of Angela Nath, but she's got hers set to, she posts on Facebook, then it posts up to Twitter. And I, I follow her on Twitter and like, I see this tweet and, and this is with a lot of people, you're like, oh, a tweet. And then it's got see more because it's longer. And then it's this huge like paragraphs of stuff. And I'm like, I don't wanna read all that. Uh, you know, I'll read anything Angela posts, but I'm saying with other people, but I'm just like, ugh. So um, you want to go top down. All right, now let's see. Uploading your workouts. You want everything to be uh, really simple. I'm, uh, most of us, those of you that don't have to deal with this, oh my God. First, uh, back in the days, kept wrote everything on paper. Then it was once things were computerized, um, you had to hook up your watch to your computer, download from your computer from your watch to your computer as a file, then upload your file to your software, your website, or whatever. Then it got a little bit better, where it was connect your watch to a computer, and then it'll upload from your computer automatically not as a file that you have to import or upload, but it would just automatically, a little piece of software would uh, send it, it's called like a servlet, would send it up to the website. And then now we're at the point where your watch um, through Bluetooth can, it's usually to your phone, but connects to your phone, 
And then when you finish a workout, it transfers over to your phone. Your phone uploads it over your cellular network even, maybe Wi-Fi, but anyway, wirelessly up to your, um, your training platform of choice. So the, the way to order that, there's a smart way to do it, is let's say you're using Garmin. Um, you have it upload to Garmin Connect. Then what you do is you connect Garmin Connect to Training Peaks, right? Because Training Peaks is your um, your best training platform out there. So all your workouts, and it's better than Garmin Connect. So way better, and you um, can see that your workouts get uploaded to Training Peaks. Then you also have your workouts. And it doesn't really matter which one you connect it to, to Garmin Connect or to Training Peaks, but then you have one of those connect to Strava. And so it goes watch to Garmin Connect to Training Peaks uh, and then Strava or then at the same time Strava. But do you see how that tree works from the top down? And then what'll happen is all your stuff is posted everywhere and you can hop on the platform that you want to go check it out. Okay, now back to the, um, because Strava is like the least important, that's like a social thing. And then the, the, middle, the middle ground, the most important is um, to get it to Garmin Connect so that you can get it to the middleware, which would be uh, Training Peaks, which is your training log so your coach can see it or you can see it. Now the, uh, back to the training room. You have, let me make sure I'm recording, hold on. <laughs> yeah, you have, um, uh, next to your bike, set up bo a box, a milk crate, or something like that, full of headbands, handkerchiefs. You can go to the, you can go to a sporting goods store and get just tons of handkerchiefs, and uh, but headbands, and um, because you can tie handkerchiefs kind of like a headband around your head, and wristbands. And what I found is I go through about uh, one every half an hour. Uh, wristbands about once every hour but headbands once every half hour. And what I do is if I'm gonna go for a two hour ride on my trainer, then I have next to me a pile of um, a two hour ride that's four headbands. And then uh, as you sweat one up, you just drop it on the ground. You have a rubber mat under your bike, drop it on the ground, pick up a fresh headband, wipe off your head and face before you uh, put on another headband. And then you won't get sweat in your eyes anymore and you won't be dripping sweat off your nose all over your bike frame, which ruins your frame. And um, if you keep it, if you wear wristbands and you look totally like 1970s, 1980s basketball star while you're doing this stuff. You can even get NBA looking uh, red, white, and blue um, <laughs> wristbands. Uh, you, um, uh, yeah, you, the wristbands, if you need to use a computer or your phone, this keeps sweat off of those devices and keeps that from messing them up. That is really cool. Um, some of my most hilarious headbands are um, Emily and Kai did a Color Up 5K where they, they um, throw paint powdered powder balls or something at you so you get covered in powder. Yay! And uh, anyway, they got headbands from doing it. It says Color Up 5K. And I like wearing theirs. And they get mad at me. They're like, you did not do the Color Up 5K. And I say, I'm still wearing your headband. What are you going to do about it? And they're like, well, I'm going to take it off your head. And I'm like, go ahead. And then they touch it. And they're like, oh, it's all gross. It's all sweaty. I'm like, ha ha. Anyway, so that's how to keep sweat off your bike. 
Uh, there's a bike bikini thing. That's a thing that goes over your bike frame too. Um, another one I talked about in the last episode is before you do a race, get a copy of the hill profile, see how bad the hills are. And then in training, practice doing those exact hills. Estimate, you know, that's a, um, that's a three minute hill. Uh, that's a 10 minute hill, whatever it is. And practice doing those hills on the treadmill and on the uh, bike so that you're used to them. And you can do them and pace yourself. Knowing what they feel like is uh, will lead to you actually pacing yourself on the um, much, much smarter and then having a better race on race day. Uh, let's see. In the Back into the training room, have a um, big jug of water that's dedicated for long rides. And what you can do is you just fill up that big jug of water. And then while you're on the bike... Or I guess you can stop the treadmill, but you don't need to do this big deal of refilling water bottles and stuff when you get off the equipment. Um, you can just reach over and grab this big jug. If you're on the bike, you can just sit up and refill your water bottles um, or a water bottle with um, water. If you fill that jug with ice, um, yeah, think about that. <laughs> you have nice cold water, but a dedicated big jug of water and write something on it. I've learned years ago to write stuff on your on your stuff and it's funny, and it makes training a whole lot more fun. Um, sometimes I write Tenacious B uh, or Big Daddy B or something like that on my stuff. And Emily and Kai go, what is this? And I go, that's my jug. And they're like, what? And I go, I can write anything I want on it because it's mine, and it's funny, and it keeps me motivated. And that's part of it, right? It's just keeping things fun and silly. And uh, every time you see that you wrote that on there, you're like, Oh my God, that's so ridiculous. Okay, another one uh, to to remember is don't pick up a sponsorship from somebody unless you really, really like the thing because you've kind of dove in to buddying up with them and then it makes you look like crap to quit. And you, so your ego will keep you from wanting to quit even though there's better equipment or food or whatever you got going on. Um, so you'll stick with something and it's your life and it's your training and some other wheel or fuel or something like that comes up and you're now a, um, what do they call that? A supporter, lifestyle blogger or something like that, whatever they call it, over some uh, uh, base salt or something like that. Uh, well, now you're attached to them and you won't want to quit because um, that makes you look like a quitter even though you really should quit because you found that you're like, this stuff doesn't work for you, whatever it is, you know, a power meter, I don't know. But um, it is so much better to be a free agent and be able to pick the, quit, the equipment that works for you, um, even though you had to pay for it. The fact that you paid for it means you can turn around and sell it and buy something better um, with minimal hassle and admit that you were wrong or be okay with changing with no looking bad in front of other people and other people going, oh, with, you know, last week you like this, right? Uh, so um, just be careful of that. Don't pick up sponsorships unless you are really, 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 really into the product, really into it or really need it, I guess. And then be willing to drop that sponsorship as, as fast as you can. And... Let's see. Um, another one is, oh, and if, if you have to go get the sponsorship, 
then that means they're not as much into you as you are into them. And that will be a one-way relationship where they won't give you anywhere near as much stuff as you want. It's, a lot of times you have to pay to be part of this thing. And uh, that's just not cool. If they come to you and want to support you, they are into you. They found you and they like you. So Amrita Bars, for example, Salt Stick, like all these companies that I get sponsored by now, um, they came to me and it's awesome because they're a big fan of uh, me. So everything I do, they like already. I don't have to worry about pleasing them. I'm already doing what they like. And so that just allows you to be more of yourself. Okay, uh, last one, and then we're gonna take a break, is set up your training life so everything is easy. Any kind of training is super easy. This takes time. Um, so you just slowly, incrementally work that way. You know, when you pick a new place to live, pick a place that's more convenient, has running trails. I'm talking like it's that slow of a change. When, you know, you're looking for stuff for Christmas, start saving up for a bike trainer. You know, make a choice. Get that bike trainer instead of, you know, some other thing that is... Uh, is uh, not, I don't know, that's a fleeting. And over time, you can set up your training life, your environment, so that um, pretty much any kind of swimming, biking, uh, running, and like, for example, weightlifting, which we talked about earlier in the show, is just moments away. And then what you can do is... Um, do what you feel like doing next. And you should, you learn to do what you feel like doing next based on how sore you are or tired you are in a, mostly how sore you are in a muscle group, right? Um, my legs are really, really sore right now. So I should go for either a very easy bike ride or swim. Well, guess what? Those are both super easy to do because they're. <laughs> my bike is uh, one room over. I got to walk across the living room, and then I'm I could get on my bike and just pedal easy. Um, swimming is less than a mile away. I can go swim, right? And uh, also, I mean, it's like putting healthy food in the fridge. You know, it's like all that stuff is. Um, at first, this seems crazy. Well, not crazy, but just impossibly difficult. But over the years, th these are choices that you make that slowly add up. And um, then what happens is uh, you can train the muscles or the body part, the system that needs training now. And everything should be like, honestly, it should be like two days apart, uh, 48 hours or 24 hours, whatever. If you, um, if you run hard on on Wednesday, you shouldn't run hard again and at least until like Friday, right? Um, you should have a day's gap uh, for you to recover and do the, the next thing. If you're doing stuff really easy or really soft, that's okay. But um, like I said, where I um, hurt my arm and also had a tattoo and I couldn't swim uh, much, well, that just had me pretty much doing all lower body stuff without being able to take a break and do upper body stuff. And that damaged me like really bad. So you want to have um, everything super, super convenient. Um, and it even goes down to like where one big thing is you should have your house organized so that you can get your triathlon stuff. You got to talk to your, your partner, your spouse or yourself and 
tell them how important triathlon is to you and you'll be less frustrated and less grumpy and throwing stuff around the house early in the morning if you can find where your running shoes are immediately and all your running stuff is together and all your biking stuff is together and all your swimming stuff is together. So all you got to do is just walk over and go open up a drawer or whatever and you can just get your stuff and go without having to reassemble everything uh, every time. And for example, I keep a swim bag in my car. Um, I bought an Xterra on purpose because it has the roof rack that's uh, perforated so I can keep my swim gear up there and I swim and then I put my swimsuit and my goggles and my cap up in there and my towel up in there. Um, and then two days later when I go swim again, it's dry <laughs> and it's with my car, which is if I'm at the gym, I also have my car with me. So like I never forget my swimsuit or my goggles or my swim cap or my towel um, because it's always in my car because my car is the, um, the storage unit for that stuff. So it's little decisions like that that start adding up and uh, start engineering your life, keep engineering your life so that all these little things are uh, super easy because God, the hardest part about working out is getting started. And if all your stuff is already together and you know where it is, then um, you can uh, get that, you can get that uh, stuff, you can get going with minimal, minimal effort. And that's huge. Okay, let's take a break and we will come back with, what did I say? Uh, we're gonna do the run stuff next. Okay, hold on. All right, let's take a break for a second and talk about Amrita bars and salt stick. What should we do first? I think Amrita bars, but first let me tell you where I'm at. I'm in the parking lot of Gold's Gym and I pulled up to start recording. Got everything nice and quiet because the car is an awesome recording studio. When it's not moving, it's actually good. It's a good sound booth. And then I heard this radio jamming. And so I was like, oh man, I need to move. And then I moved my car you know, to the other side of the parking lot. And then it was worse. I ended up pulling up closer to the car <laughs> with the meathead like jamming out, getting ready to lift. Yeah. But anyway, I uh, was running all this week. Uh, and especially this weekend with my big double back-to-back -back run days, 13.1 uh, day, miles on Saturday, 13.5 on Sunday, wearing my Amrita Bars visor. And that made me want to mention them first. They have a really, really cool kit. It's like, it's like black with this rainbow kind of color scheme to it looks super cool. So you got to check out their stuff just for the kit, but that's not even what they make. They make health bars. Amrita bars are date based with seeds. So if you have a nut allergy, it helps out with that. And they are gluten-free and all that good stuff, but they are a whole food bar. So you really shouldn't eat stuff unless you can name all the ingredients and unless the ingredient list is pretty short and almost always Amrita bars are like three, four, five, six ingredients. Really, really, really good stuff. And they have cardamom in them, which helps soothe the stomach. And they were invented by a cyclist. And the way I really like Amrita bars is um, they, they come in different uh, you know styles of packaging and stuff. But the bar itself, you can open the end of the bar and then put it in the leg of your cycling jersey or in your jersey pocket and then 
pull it out and take a bite of the bar and put it back. And it's, uh, it goes down smooth. They're chewy. Instead of, oh man, you ever eat a bar or something like that that's powdery dry? <laughs> like a granola bar that's actually crispy. And then you get, you're riding your bike and then you get a mouthful of, of dust in, the, in your throat. And then you start hacking and coughing and people are like, what's wrong? And then you're like, you can't tell them because you're choking and then they, but you're fine, but you're just choking. And then they're like, what's wrong? And then you can't tell them. And then they're like, dude, is something wrong? And you're like, just leave me alone, man. I'm just trying to, I'm fine, but you can't say that you're fine because you're choking. Anyway, you can avoid all that with Amrita bars. <laughs> this best promo ever. You can avoid all that with Amrita bars because they're soft and chewy and they're portable, and they also have this thing uh, that's like uh, pouches. And then there's some bars that are actually, they get, I know like Cliff Bars are like this. They get really hard when they get cold. Well, Amrita Bars don't. So if uh, you got winter coming up and it's cold, then you can uh, take Amrita Bars with you. And they're, uh, yeah, super, super uh, chewy and just yum, man. They are really, really good. And they're a longtime sponsor of Zentri. I've actually been running trail running with Arshad who's the founder and owner of Amrita Bars and I've been on the box I think and yeah that's like the Wheaties box for triathlon it's really cool so check them out we have a discount code of Zen that gets you 15% off so go to their website Amrita Bars Amrita no it's Amrita Health Foods <laughs> Amrita Health Foods Dot com. But anyway, just Google Amrita Bars and go to their website and check them out. It's A-M-R-I-T-A, Amrita, Amrita, and check them out and get yourself some bars, okay? Now, the second sponsor we need to mention right now is Salt Stick. So I make a lot of my own nutrition to save money. I just got off a coaching call with somebody and I was telling them how to uh, make your own uh, sports fuel because you can save a ton of money. I just figured one out that is huge. I'm going to keep to myself for a little bit uh, and make sure I've got it nailed down before I share it with everybody. But oh my gosh, this one's so great. But it needs more salt. It needs more electrolytes. So one company has electrolytes nailed down and that is Salt Stick. And it's because Salt Stick takes uh, what you sweat out. They did analysis on sweat and they've got the ratios of what comes out. So not only you don't just have sodium coming out, you have potassium and magnesium and all this other stuff. So they take the ratios of that and salt stick is actually those uh, minerals and they uh, put them into a capsule and they also have chewables which have like a citrus flavor which are really, really good. But anyway... I uh, take those capsules and I break them apart and because they're capsules and it's powder inside, it's really, really easy. And I add it to my own fuel. So I'm getting, cause you know, you could do like, you could do sea salt or Himalayan pink salt, you know, all this you know, fancy salts, but you're still missing this other stuff that you actually need is critical and salt stick has it. So you can make your own fuel and get the electrolytes correct by adding salt stick capsules to your stuff. And then of course they're capsules and they have like this really slick twist dispenser, which um, you can punch out another capsule and a lot of people zip tie that to their bike, which is pretty cool. And, um, and then you can dispense a capsule as needed. It's kind of neat. 
and you see lots of video and um, race picture footage of top end pros with a salt stick uh, container zip tied to their uh, handlebars so they can pop off another uh, salt stick as needed. So if you want to get some salt stick and get your electrolyte balance nailed down, you can go to their website, saltstick.com, but then add a slash and Zentri, and that takes you to our page. They made a page just for us. Isn't that cool? And you can get a, uh, a box that pops up. You will get a box that pops up, and it says, hey, you can't come in here. What is your secret password to get in? And I'm, gonna, I'm about to tell you the password. I'm going to whisper it to you so that nobody else can hear, okay, because this is just for us. You ready? Here we go. The password is... Y'all remember that in, uh, what was it, Cable Guy? The password is nipple. Anyway, the, pass the password is Centri. That's right. The password is us. You are we. We are it. It is us. I. It is Zentri. So you just type in Zentri. Bam. Opens, opens up. And I think it's 10% off. And uh, you can order. Get all, get all. Buy a whole bunch of your salt stick capsules. Go ahead and get it over with. Just buy it all. And then uh, you'll always have it in your pantry. You won't be like, well, I don't want to use all. I only got a little bit left. No, man. It's just electrolytes. It's not that crazy expensive. Just buy a whole bunch of it. And then you've got it all in your pantry. And then you can use it as needed without ever worrying about it. Okay. All right. Whew. That's it. Let's get back to the podcast. And I'm going to go into the gym and knock out a swim. All right, here we go. All right, we are leaving the pool real quick. It's gonna be super quick because it's a four and a half minute drive <laughs> to my house. So I thought I'd record my initial impressions of uh, swimming uh, and living so close to the, uh, to the pool. Let me uh, get myself in here. So what I did, well, I got there, there's only two lanes in this pool. And um, I get there and each lane has a person in it. So I'm kind of like, ah, oh, crap. So I go in and sit down for a second and I need to change the settings on my um, watch anyway. I wanted to show what time of day it was. So I was changing that screen. And then I look at the guy in one of the lanes and he looks familiar. And then I realize it's my buddy Rich that I used to swim with at, um, gosh, at two different pools in town over the years. Just throwing everything in the backseat of my car here. And he goes, hey, you wanna split a lane? And I was like, yeah, and see, this is the value of community and friendship. And we start swimming and it wasn't that bad, but I have, uh, it's just a setting that, a different setting that I don't, oh, it's uh, 46 degrees by the way, but getting all hot in the pool. It wasn't that hot though, but just uh, getting a good workout in. Walking out to your car when it's hot or when it's cold actually feels pretty good. Anyway, I, um, Let's see what time is it? 6.59, leaving the pool. So it took me 20 minutes to get out into the car, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, and you're like, what? It's because you're really inefficient the first time you do anything. You gotta give yourself some slack and you're gonna get faster over time. And that's why I cut my swim uh, 10 minutes early. Cause I'm like, I marked what time I left my house. I left my house at 5.25. And then now I'm leaving the gym at seven. I finished swimming at uh, six 
40. Yeah. Um, so I have all these markers of time. Um, and then I'm giving myself slack because I'm going to get more efficient. And I, um, well, I've got this beep timer on my watch and it's set for my really fast pace, uh, my inspirational pace in a yard pool. And I'm swimming along and like I am sucking, like cannot hit that timer at all after warm up and like getting going and everything. Usually after a while I start hitting that beep. And so I, um, after a while I kind of give up on that. And after 20 minutes, I start doing intervals, uh, 100 yards hard every, um, 10 minutes, like almost sprint, kind of like build a sprint, start off kind of hard and then it gets harder and harder and harder. And by the end you're dying. And on the second one, Rich was sitting at the wall. And so I'm also making a note of traffic. Traffic's not bad. Traffic's actually really light. Um, sun's coming up. He was at the wall and I said, Hey, uh, is this pool a yard pool or a meter pool? And he goes, I think it's a meter pool. And I was like, Oh, thank God. <laughs> he goes, Oh, did you think you were, uh, you were, uh, going like super slow and you're ruined or something. And I go, yeah. Plus it's, it's a two lane pool. So it's got more chop. Uh, the more lanes you have, the lane ropes kind of soften the uh, blow of, of the water against the wall. If you're swimming in a lane right next to a wall, it's always worse. It's choppier. It's slower. And, but I consider that, um, you got to reframe that Zen is always reframing. And I'm like, that's a, uh, it's good training for triathlon, you know, to be experienced with chop and not have everything all perfect all the time. Cause it ain't going to be perfect out in open water. And then let's see, I cut my swim 10 minutes early. And instead of swimming an hour, I swam for 50 minutes, hopped in the hot tub for a second. And then, um, here's an example. Like I get out and, oh, I don't have a locker yet for a locker. So I'm carrying all this stuff, which takes all this extra time. I can't find anything cause I got two bags and then there's a shower by the pool with a curtain on it. So I rinse off in there and then I get inside the locker room and I'm like, this is a way better place to shower here. And everything's just way more efficient is going to be way more efficient after a uh, after a few more swims and I kind of nailed down a system but this is uh, my first experience with coming home after uh, swimming and now it's 7.03 what time that again? 7 I'm, I'm almost on my street oh this is great so I didn't get any big bike rides this weekend but I ran more than I've run in a long time. And I, I did double long runs. So um, it's dangerous to uh, to increase something too much. Uh, all lower body. So now I'm... Uh, I was like, it's okay. Because I need to um, give my legs a little bit of break. And all the extra running is uh, not not going to help things on the bike. Plus I didn't feel like it. Plus I've weight lifted, which is extra two times or three times over the past three days, just little stuff, you know, just 20 minutes here and there. And also I found out that, um, there's another goal closer by my work. It's like two minutes from my work. And so I could go lift there at lunch. Like I used to a long time ago where my podcast all got started on the bike room at, uh, Gold's over there. 
yeah, now it's 7.04 and I'm pulling in my driveway. So four or five minute drive. How about that, folks? That's pretty cool. All right, that's it. I'll be back in just a second. All right, we are back. So it's super cool coming home. Let me turn the AC here. It's super cool coming home and uh, walking in the door and Kai sitting there eating breakfast and we got to talk for a minute about his day and what he's going to do. So my life for years now has been swimming three days uh, a week before work and then leaving right from the pool to go to work. And I'm not saying I'm not going to go back to doing that because now I'm kind of stuck in traffic that I would miss if I just went from the pool straight to work. But I know if I went to the pool, straight to work from this pool, then I would, uh, my commute would be a lot shorter. I would save time. Uh, as opposed to this other pool that's way on the other side of town. Anyway, uh, I got home and I was like, what do I do with myself? <laughs> Sometimes I ask myself, self, what are you going to do with yourself? And self says, huh? But anyway, I uh, said, well, the smart thing, I started making a green tea. And then I said, well, actually, a smart thing to do right now, because you got plenty of time, would be to make a real breakfast. So I did scrambled eggs with uh, hemp powder and some mixed cheese and hemp powder to get your leafy greens and fiber mixed in. Uh, because everything else I'm about to mention has no fiber in it. A little bit of avocado oil and uh, I say hemp powder and cheese. And then and then uh, pico, fresh pico salsa in it at the end, which I'll tell you about. So uh, you in a coffee mug, ceramic coffee mug. Oh, it's oh Jesus! Huge traffic jam. Oh man! What in the holy hell? Well, I guess we're going to be talking for a minute. Um, I don't think it matters which one I get on. It looks all about the same. <sighs> anyway. Oh, God. I've lived in this town forever, and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and getting, traffic's getting worse and worse and worse. Um, where did I leave off? Oh, in a coffee mug pouring a little bit of avocado oil. Why is avocado oil good? It's because avocado oil is healthier even than olive oil. It's got the healthy stuff that olive oil has in it, plus some more. And it's uh, olive oil, by the way, is really bad to fry in because it's got a low flash point and um, olive oil should be eaten kind of fresh and not really cooked with so much. Uh, because it's got a low flash point, that means it kind of burns a little bit um, at lower temperatures, very low temperatures, and then that burnt olive oil is actually carcin burnt stuff is carcinogenic, and the um, avocado oil is more like peanut oil, and maybe even more than peanut oil has a very high flash point and does not want to burn until like 400 degrees. So avocado oil is very safe to cook high temperatures at. And plus it's better for you than uh, uh, olive oil. So um, first you put the avocado oil in the coffee mug and that helps to keep the eggs from sticking so bad to the coffee mug for what you're about to do next, which is crack two eggs into the coffee mug. You could add a little bit of water too. Scramble it with a spoon in the coffee mug. Just stir it like you're stirring coffee really hard. 
And then you can add other things if you want, but not, I wouldn't. Uh, maybe like the sprinkled cheese in there. And then put it in the microwave for 30 seconds. And then um, it'll be partially cooked. And then what you do is you stir it um, and then put it back in for another 30 to 40 seconds. It depends on your microwave. Uh, stir it real good and put it back in and then watch it towards the end of that 30 seconds, 40, that second 30 or 40 seconds. And you'll notice it starts creating like a muffin top towards the top of the mug. And when it starts trying to come over the top of the mug, that's when it's done. And um, take your spoon and stir it up a little bit more um, to break it apart. And it's it cooks like scrambled egg loaf. I mean, it is awesome. And it tastes great. It's fast. It's uh, wonderful. And then, um, what do you do? Uh, da, 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 da. You, um, ah, oh, it's going to be really hot. If you want to eat it right now, see, this is smart. This is one of your, this is one of your triathlon hacks. Now your salsa that you got on the side that's cold out of the fridge, to, you put the salsa on the eggs now, and that helps cool it down. So that you just stir it up a little bit, and then now you can start eating it. Isn't that cool? Pretty cool, eh? Okay, so I was like, man, now I can actually have a um, a nice real breakfast <laughs> with uh, before I go off to work. Because usually I go to work, and after half an hour to an hour, I'm starving, and I need to eat something. And I have like a healthy TV dinner, because there are very healthy TV dinners. But... Um, you know, I'm having to take away from work time and stuff to do that. It doesn't, it's okay, but, uh, you know, it doesn't look all that great to be sitting there eating at work, breakfast. <laughs> Should have ate breakfast at home. And, uh, but I just do it real quick or eat at my desk. I don't really care. But then, uh, what was the other thing? Uh, check in with Emily. Uh, we've got this oven that melted down. And so I was talking with her about um, organizing the uh the day the next few days and we've got boy scouts tonight so talking with her about it's really her talking at me and me going oh okay but the uh the schedule with boy scouts and what's going on and the meeting tonight and also um before i left the gym i asked at the front desk gold is a big um you know network of gyms and i said hey can i use my gold membership at the gym closer into town i've worked like uh, by this other gold. Can I use my membership there? And he goes, oh yeah. And I was like, oh yes. So did I already mention that? So I can go lift at lunch. But anyway, um, I also had time to sit down and look at, well, traffic is, dude, it's like a freaking parking lot. Hold on. I'm going to text somebody that I'm going to be late and that would be smarter to do right now. Hold on. All right. I'm back. Uh, God, you gotta love modern technology. That's cool. The uh, thing I was able to do because I had time at home. Oh, here comes a cop, motorcycle cop coming up on the right hand side. There he goes. Yeah, this must be a fresh accident with. Uh, it is a freaking standstill. Um, the uh, the thing I was able to do was Ultraman finished up yesterday, and our buddy Rob Gray he won by just a. 10 minutes or something like that. But anyway, I calculated, I had time to calculate his, uh, what do you call it? 
his his paces so we have an idea of what it takes to win Ultraman. Are you ready for this? Okay, he did the 10K swim in like 238 or something like that. But anyway, that pace is a 127 per 100 yards or, you know, for uh, two point, no, for uh, 6.2 miles, which is also like a 131 per 100 meters, I think, or maybe 132, right around in there, per 100 yards, which is, pre- that's really good. That's um, that's a double, that's a back-to-back one-hour Ironman swim pace for See, 2.4 and 2.4 is uh, 4.8. So for like for like two and a half Ironman swims, <laughs> he did a one-hour pace. That's decent. That is uh, that's not crazy fast, right? But that's just solid, right? Okay. And then on the bike ride. Okay, that was Emily um, <laughs> calling me. She just called. She's like, are you stuck in traffic too? Is this, what the hell's going on? And I'm like, yeah, I'm over here. Anyway, uh, his bike ride was like 20.7 or 20.5 miles per hour, which is, um, uh, which I think it's slower than he usually does. And maybe that was on purpose. See, he did it last year and didn't win. So maybe he had a different strategy, like to go easier on the bike or something like that. I don't know. But we'll talk to him. Maybe we'll get him on the show. And then, uh, but 20.5 is not crazy fast, but it is a challenging bike ride. So I remember when I did mine, I averaged 19.5 on day two two and maybe 20 something on day one and i made mine pretty challenging on purpose because theirs is um theirs is challenging too i want mine to be like as much like theirs as i could and so that seems um that's fast but that seems a little bit less than his potential like maybe he was holding back or maybe the conditions just sucked i don't know but then the whopper is um day three the double marathon he averaged uh, an eight-minute mile flat or right around there. It's kind of hard to figure out exactly. But 8.0, that is impressive. (laughs) That's really impressive that um, he was able to run that pace after all this for that long. Um, Now, is that super fast? No. No. Because at Kona, whatever, the top guys are running, you know, um, seven, six, six and a half minute mile pace. So what you'll notice, my whole point is what you notice is everything is slower. You just got, it's that thing that uh, the really good guys say, you don't have to be crazy fast. You just got to get kind of pretty fast and be able to hold it and just not slow down. You need to have your your easy, your, your fat burning cruising speed and your durability up there at medium fast and I'll be able to do it all day long. And then you can do the long endurance stuff. Isn't that pretty cool? 
Uh, I think that's it. So, um, if, uh, I wasn't stuck in a traffic jam, then I would say my, I got off to work, uh, right on time as usual. Um, this is a little bit unusual with this monster traffic jam and, um, but our town's small enough that if, uh, if there's a traffic jam like this, everybody knew about it. <laughs> so at work I can be like, yeah, I was just stuck there. And then half my bosses and stuff would be like, and coworkers would be like, yeah, I was stuck in that thing too. Um, so whatever, it's no big deal. Anyway, I think that's it. I'm going to go back to drinking uh, some green tea and listening to the 5 a.m. Miracle and the podcast and then the, um, what's the other podcast? Uh, oh, it's the Productivity Podcast, I think is what it's called or something, but it's by Asian Efficiency, uh, which is pretty funny because there's only like one Asian guy left in the whole company. <laughs> They just called it that. And uh, anyway, it's some good shows. All right, I'll let y'all go. Be back in a little bit. Out, bang. All right, we are back. I'm leaving the pool. And we're going to talk about running. But I'm leaving the pool because my swim was crazy fast this morning. And I was like, I don't think this is a meter pool. Because it was too fast overall. So I went and measured the pool. And the gym, I don't, don't ever trust what people say about how long a pool is, <laughs> unless you know for sure, because there's, it's hard to tell sometimes. And the uh, pool is advertised, maybe not on Gold's corporate media website, but on some uh, other discussions and stuff like that, and just comments on the internet. Oh, it's a 25 meter pool, it's so great. No, it's not, it's 25 yard pool. So I swam, you know, like 4,400 yards in an hour, not 4,800 yards or whatever it was, which uh, would have given me a 53-minute Ironman swim. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay, so the tool I use to measure it. You want to measure a pool? Uh, One is a tape measure. Two is a rolling wheel. Uh... Three, if you want to have some fun and you got a newer phone that has AR in it, artificial uh, reality, augmented reality um, in it, I got a, uh, I downloaded a free app called AR Measure, and it's a tape measure that works in virtual augmented reality to, um, I tapped it on one end of the pool and then slowly walked to the other end of the pool and it lays down a virtual reality tape measure across the side of the pool as uh, as you're walking along and then another thing i did and it came up to 75 feet and which is 25 yards and then the next thing i did was um i saw the pool had tiles on it these big tiles so i measured one of those and it was two feet and then i walked um and counted them and there was 37 of them and then a bit of another one that was on each end that was chopped off. So 37 times 2, 74, plus a little bit more, 75. So anyway, don't trust other people's measurements all the time. Trust but verify, right? It's a management principle. Anyway, I uh, want to talk about running right off the top of my head. I've got a list actually in my phone. We'll get to it in a second. But um, let's do uh, bloody nipples and chafing. A great way 
to prevent bloody nipples and chafing in other areas is to make sure that whatever you're wearing is tight so it doesn't uh, gap against the skin and then create a new swoosh of uh, resistance every time a new chafe and then um, and then super silky almost silky smooth so I discovered this with Under Armour heat gear uh, when I started doing long distance running I found that I could wear Under Armour heat gear and other, and other people talk about their nipples bleeding and everything and I'm like uh, nope I guess you could wear a bra but I was like no I don't see how a bra that is really weird and then I figured out it was the material uh what happens is people are wearing um you're wearing a technical fabric like a you know a t-shirt you got from a race or something like that and if it's not silky then it actually has little fine edges in it like if it's mesh it has little fine edges in it and especially if it's not tight then it'll um it'll uh those little edges that are almost they're almost microscopic they're just tiny will start uh, cutting into you and give you problems. So I've run uh, 50 to 100 miles in um, Under Armour heat gear and no chafing whatsoever for the shirt. Under the arms, anything. I've done Ironmans in those. It is fantastic, fantastic stuff. It's really, 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 really good. Uh, go check it out. Okay, next is uh, this new running shoe material called TPU, and unfortunately, um, all these running shoe companies have come up with their own stupid name for this stuff, but it is magnificent. TPU, thermoplastic urethane, is super cushiony, right, and it doesn't wear out. It takes like 10 times. It eventually wears out, I guess, but it takes like 10 times as long to wear out as a regular running shoe. So Adidas came up with it first. Uh, it's called Boost, B-O-O-S-T, Adidas Boost. And it's just outstanding. Um, if you want something uh, with a low heel. Oh, the other thing that's so great about it is that it reduces the stack height and that means it takes less height, less volume of the material for it to give you cushion so they can make your shoe height a little bit thinner. And people that, people know that um, if your shoe elevates you up off the ground, uh, the more it elevates you up off the ground, the more risk you have of twisting or breaking an ankle, for example, or just falling down if, um, if you catch an edge or if you start, if you tip over, that taller height acts as a lever or a lever. And um, when you start to go over, it, it levers your ankle against your body and then cracks it. And also makes you unstable. So it's like walking around in platform shoes. The more you can get lower to the ground and less like platform shoes, the better you can be. And this TPU material allows that. So Hoka's are famous, right? Because they've got this all this cushioning, but their downside is, is they're tall and you have to kind of learn to run in them and you're still running a risk of uh, tipping over and um, breaking something, right? It's unstable to be up on little tiny stilts. And these uh, this TPU gives you all the cushion of Hoka's, 
plus um, very much lower stack height. So the stability of much uh, lower uh, running shoes, plus they give you the durability of like four pairs of shoes, <laughs> you know? So yeah, they cost uh, 20% more, but they last 200% longer. So you can keep the same shoes 400% longer, 500% longer. So you can keep wearing the same shoes a long, long time. And the other thing, uh, you may not notice this until I tell you, because I didn't even think about it, but uh, cold weather makes regular running shoe foam um, hard. And the uh, you run in cold, all of a sudden you're running on, uh, on planks, wooden planks. And TPU does not act that way. It remains cushy in all temps, uh, below freezing and all that stuff. So you can uh, prevent injuries, have a better run, all kinds of stuff, save money eventually on the long run. Get it? Long run. Uh, with TPU. Okay, so like I said, Adidas uh, was the first with Adidas Boost. And a, a shoe that's a competitor to Hoka is Ultra. A-L-T-R-A, and they have the Ultra, oh God, no, I can't remember the name of it. It's like the Ultra, Ultra Ego, Escondido, Escalante, that's what it is, Escondido, Escalante, um, which is a great, people are raving about it because it has um, like a very low profile, um, no lift on the heel, and um is also this TPU material. You got to check it out. I think that might be, oh, and they have a wide front toe box so it doesn't pinch your toes. Those are apparently like these awesome, awesome shoes. And I just tried Face ID on my phone and it didn't like me. Come on. I know you know how to do it. And let's go back to our notes because we got more. Um, calf raises is another one. Uh, and, and uh, squats. So uh, um, Rob Gray just finished uh, winning Ultraman Hawaii. And I asked him how sore he was. And he said, extremely sore. And by the way, he um, his calves are killing him. And Rob did something that uh, the real high-end guys tend not to do, which is a mistake because it really does work is he did the run walk right from the beginning. And so I think he was, he walked a minute every mile or something like that, but he averaged an eight minute mile. But he, uh, what it does is allow you to run faster when you actually do run anyway. So you make up for it. And plus you save your legs. But uh, his calves are killing him. And something I found is when you go to the gym, and I'm gonna talk about another gym exercise that'll help your swimming big time when we hit swimming. But when you hit the gym, do calf raises. Uh, there's a machine where you can um, uh, get under it, under your shoulders, and then you get up on your toes, sort of, and you let your heels sink, and then lift your um, calves, lift lift your entire body, pushing against with your toes, and that strengthens your calves, and it's amazing, and it's like the easiest machine to do, and it feels awesome, like. It feels really, really good. And you'll be shocked at how strong your calves already are. And um, 
doing uh, calf raises will actually help you a ton. And it's calf raises uh, when you run uphill that calf raises will help you. You'll notice if you run uphill a lot that your um, calves start to burn. And it'll help that. And actually it helps biking too because um, you'll notice that really, really fast runners uh, like Kenyans, for example, they have almost no calves. So it's like, you don't really need your calves that much for running and um, to run fast and light. But you'll notice that cyclists tend to have um, evenly distributed muscle uh, all the way down to their calves. And it's because you kind of push off with your calves a little bit. Use your calves more in biking than you think. So it actually helps your biking as well. And one last tip before I leave you, and then we'll come back in a minute, is um, visors. The, uh, the underestimated visor. A visor is so friendly, and it's kind of like the signature look of Ironman triathletes. Is uh, unfortunately, um, what are those things called? Those calf sock things? Uh, support socks that come up to your knee. Uh, I've worn them, though. They work a little bit but the uh, uh, a visor and it's because this isn't uh, there's a few of us out there unfortunately we don't um, have a we've got bald spots so you kind of need to watch out for the sun so then yeah wear a regular hat but if you don't fall in that camp uh, wear a visor because one it allows heat to release off the top of your head and then two you can dribble uh, water directly on top of your head while um, while uh, running and you go through an aid station and grab water and you can pour it over your head and it really, really does work. Now, um, there is a group of people that are fortunate enough to have found a hat and have a small enough head where they can, uh, as they go through an aid station, pour ice in their hat and then put their hat on their head. And that's another strategy that really works. Uh, my head is too big <laughs> for me to find a hat that has enough room left in the top where I can actually do that and then put the hat on my head and have it stay in place. Um, so I don't really fall in that camp and I really can't, you know, back up that tip and say 100% that that works. But I heard um, Lance Armstrong was doing that when he started uh, doing triathlons again and that it really works. And a whole bunch of other people do that. All right. I'll be back in just a minute. I've got to go back into W to the ERK and test some computers. Test a tablet. i got a Microsoft Surface, uh, a new one that we've got to uh, do some work on. All right. Out. Bang. All right. We are back. And uh, let's see. We have on this little section uh, three more good running tips. Another great running tip is you ever notice that when you run downhill a lot, uh, Boston Marathon is famous for this, these races that have a lot of hills and especially net downhill, long stuff. Um, it starts hurting so bad on your quads that you actually don't even want to run downhill because <laughs> of the pain. Uh, that is from eccentric loading which is like if you jump off of a height and then um, as you land, you try to stop yourself, well, that loads up your quads, almost like you're pushing, you kind of have to push down so that you don't slam, so you don't crush, flatten into the ground, right? So you gotta push the ground away from you as you land. 
Well, it's such a harsh hit every single time um, that it starts to hurt. And uh, you go long and this starts to build up. And the next thing you know, um, the only thing you want to do is, is if it's easier to go uphill, it feels better to go uphill than downhill because the pain is so bad. Well, what's really cool is you can fix this pretty quickly in just a few runs. And I got this advice from Ian Sharman, who's one of the top ultra runners in the world. He holds lots of records for uh, 100 mile races and stuff like that. The fastest 100 miler. He ran 100 miles at like almost a seven minute mile pace in the woods. <laughs> um, is it only takes a few runs of running down steep downhills where you make that hurt. Um, so if you live near a mountain, run down a mountain fast, run down hard so that it hurts when you're done. You do that two, three times, separate times, you know, like a few days apart or like once a week or something like that, uh, before your race. So let's say you've got Ironman, you got Ironman Canada coming up and it's a hilly race, right? And it's got some downhills on it. Your legs are already sore from all the biking. So those downhills on that run, 26 miles, can start to add up, hurt. Um, Go out as part of your training plan the last few weeks before the uh, race. Make sure that your running has um, some big downhills in it where you run down stuff hard so that it slams your quads. And then on, uh, you don't have to do it a lot. You don't have to do it frequently. You just need to do it a few times before your race. And that seems to um, just eliminate that problem. It's not something you really need to train. You just need, you know, like train a lot to get good at it. You just need to train it a few times uh, before your race. And that pretty much eliminates it so it's not a problem anymore on race day and I think that's why like big mountain runners come to flatland stuff and it just doesn't bother them at all because they've been doing that eccentric loading it's just part of their training whenever they run downhill so my own training my route that I like to run has a nice downhill at the very end for about half a mile on pavement and on purpose I run that thing fast and I run it a little sloppy on purpose so it slams my quads um, in anticipation that I'm going to be doing a race where that, uh, that'll help. Okay. Next is we talked about skin sake a little bit before, uh, but here's another one that skin sake or whatever you, this one can be any kind of like petroleum jelly or something like that is, um, you probably have known hot spots in your feet. Mine are my arches, uh, tend to rub and get raw if I go a long, long time. Or if you're planning on running a race and you usually train in socks and you know that going sockless, that you might have a little bit of a problem, put um, lube in your shoes uh, before the race. So let's say next to your bike, you got your shoes laid out and you can do this a day before too. Take petroleum jelly, whatever you want and put it where your arches in the arches of your shoes on the back of the heel inside of the heel of your shoes up on the inside where your toes uh, rub against the top of the shoe 
any spot like that where you might get blisters, uh, go ahead and pre-lube your shoes so that when you put them on, there's lube already in there. And then on uh, race day, uh, whenever you go, you, uh, you've already got lube in there and it can prevent some stuff and prevent blisters. And I do this actually um, for that. Even though I'm gonna wear socks in an Ironman, I'll still pre-lube my shoes. And it helps so much because you end up uh, people pouring water all over you, you pour water all over yourself, all that sweat and everything, your shoes just end up chafing, all that stuff. And you don't wanna stop, take time to put all that lube in there. Okay, another one is that your run form is faster if your hands are free. So a lot of times I talk about running with a water ball in your hand, you know, for good practice and stuff like that. Um, an upgrade from that is a running waist belt where you have your, so your hands are free and it has like clip-on attachments for your water and or fuel. So my favorite is Amphipod makes a running belt, makes a bunch of running belts. And I like the one where I can clip on two 10 ounce bottles and the belt's semi-stretchable and it's Velcro and gotta make sure my lane's clear over here and more than two bottles seems to be too much the belt gets too heavy things start bouncing too much but two 10 ounce bottles um, on your waist now when you're running you've got water fuel whatever it is for your race right there and now your hands free so you can have better running form instead of carrying something in one hand you know kind of making you lean over to the side a little bit or twist too much and also if you fall you know you've got your hands ready to go how about that that's some cool stuff all right we will be back with more in just a sec gotta make a phone call Okay, next one is a big one, a big money saver, is that you don't need uh, trail running shoes to trail run most of the time. Street running shoes actually do uh, just fine almost all the time. Um, I think my personal best at the Rocky Raccoon 50 trail run was in Nike Freeze, which are very much street running shoes and not only that I think it was a uh, rainy day a cold and rainy day and I was um, having to run through ankle deep and higher than ankle like a foot deep on a on rare occasion um, puddles of water that were uh, just completely soaking my shoes and then I wouldn't say it was muddy, but it was um, yeah, mud. You know, you might want trail shoes with the lugs and stuff like that on it. But this was this was dirt. This was trail. Uh, so some some mud sorta, and um, just regular old worn out Nike Freeze, and uh, they worked great. In fact, they worked so great, I did. I ran the best I ever had, and I've been running that thing a lot. So 
yeah you don't need trail shoes for trail running first try and trail shoes a lot of times are heavy and they're stiff which doesn't seem to help um because they're made to protect you from like they're more like hiking boots and then they're um uh also uh you don't really need a waterproof trail shoes because or running shoes because what happens is um your shoes will actually hold water and um one of the reasons these Nike Freeze I had were kind of meshy and, and uh, loose and light. And water ran out of them as fast as it was running in. And even though it was really, really cold, because you're moving, your feet actually don't seem to get cold. They seem to be uh, just fine. Um, now, if you stopped, you might have a problem. So just don't stop. <laughs> A lot of things are fine if you just don't stop. But uh, so I would run through. At first, I was trying to avoid the puddles, and at one point, I was like, "Crap, I'm gonna have to run through this." Uh, it was like a trench. And then, as I ran through, shoes completely filled with water. But then, almost immediately, my shoes were empty with wa- of water. And then uh, my feet never really got cold. And even though it was like uh, 40 degrees or 35 degrees or something like that, and and it's because all the water drained out, um, and I had skin sake in there. Um, I ended up being just fine, and uh, yeah, it was absolutely crazy. So um, don't bother with waterproof uh, shoes, and don't bother. Make sure your shoes have good uh, drainage more than anything, and then also don't bother with um, trail running shoes until. You actually get to the point where you need them. Man, I'm gonna fucking go. Go around. Just go. And then if your local, if you find out your local terrain says, "Hey, man, you need uh, you're not doing so good. You're gonna need some tougher shoes. Then go out and get yourself some trail shoes." All right. And then at your running running store, ask ask uh, people that really know what is needed around there. All right. All right. Now we are going to cover swimming so the biggest thing in swimming is uh, overcoming drag and the way you overcome drag is good swimming technique so you watch videos on YouTube uh, watch what other people are doing video yourself and watch yourself get somebody to video you and uh, iPad is really great Uh, something with a big screen so you can watch and then stop and slow-mo what you're doing and then go watch Soon Yang and Phelps and Ian Thorpe, the Thorpedo, and watch uh, what they're doing and then watch yourself and watch what they're doing and then watch yourself. That's the number one way to uh, see what you're doing because bad technique through a thick medium, a fluid, a thick fluid like water, uh, really, 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 really slows you down. And then you want to get over the top and throw your arm over and then turn it into a glide uh, and then you can kind of coast on that glide a little bit uh, you don't want to overextend the glide and do that because then you'll kind of slow down but you want to get so you're not fighting the water and actually you're sliding through it a little bit more uh, so another trick is to get on uh, the side of the pool grab the side of the pool Put your face down in the water. Stick your arms out in front of you. And then start kicking to bring your 
uh, body up. And you'll notice that if you point your toes back, that it doesn't take much kicking at all to get your legs up and to bring you to the top. Now uh, flex your foot so that your toes are coming up towards your chin. And you'll notice that not only do your feet act like daggers, but your heels uh, act uh, like daggers the wrong way. And everything uh, you do, just if you kick like that, brings your legs down so that your whole lower body sinks and now you gotta fight the water. So before every swim, you should practice if you have this problem, you should practice uh, what it feels like to ch kick gently and then have your feet come up, your legs come up, so that you can actually slide through the water with just gentle little kicks. And again, if your feet are pointed the wrong way, then everything kicking harder actually makes you slower, <laughs> much slower. All right, then you want to structure your workouts so that a good portion of your workout, and this is for long distance open water swimming, is just practicing good form. So what I like to do is the first 20 minutes, if you want, uh, is just practicing on nice clean form and uh, learning to slide through the water and working on stuff. And then you wanna do workouts that are like bike rides where you do several minutes, several hundred yards if you want, of hard, like you're climbing a hill, like you're climbing a three minute hill, like a five minute hill, and you dose yourself with uh, this resistance of going harder, and that will, um, and then you recover from it, right? So it's just like weightlifting, where you, it's like doing a set of weightlifting. And it's important to go hard enough that you actually need to recover a lot, and then to recover a lot, very, very easy, uh, even walking across the pool for 25 yards so you can catch your breath so that you can go hard again on your next interval. And somewhere between three to four to five intervals is really nice, and that will make you stronger. And basically, that's all you need to do for swim workouts is it's just like biking. You just go and work on technique and work on fat burning and just cruising along, and then at some point, do some intervals that make you burn and overreach and then recover from them between each one. And you don't have to do that every swim. It kind of depends on how tired you are and how much energy you got. Then uh, you can do several things for swimming on the uh, weight room floor. Uh, one that is really interesting is to go to the lat pull down machine. And that's where it's a bar. You sit down and pull ups will kind of do the same thing, but this gives you a little bit more control and you pull the bar down. Some people pull it down in front of their chin. Some people pull it down uh, behind their behind their neck. You know, they, they crunch over, pull it down behind their neck. Um, but the trick is you don't want to spread your arms out really wide. You want to spread your arms out only about at most shoulder width apart and probably even a, like maybe only a foot apart. Like, kind of like you're pushing off from the wall and when the weight goes up and you're kind of hanging there, you are stretching out your lats and your arms and your spine into perfect streamlined position. And the more often you do that, hang from a pull-up bar, 
uh, doing this weight resistance and start from up there, the more you're stretching out your body to be flat and straight. And if you did your arms really wide, like a lot of these bars are structured, uh, then you're not really getting that stretch at the same time you're getting that uh, pull in. And the other thing is, is you want to do uh, palms forward like you're climbing up a ladder, not palms towards your face when you're doing these um, because uh, palms forward is more like swimming. And also, you want to um, do pull the bar down, alternate. You can either do like one set in front of your chin, one set behind your neck, and do like that. Or you can do like each rep, like front of your head, behind your head, front of your head, behind your head, in front of your head, behind your head. And then you're kind of working all your muscle groups and all that stuff. Okay, so then another great uh, swim uh, weightlifting workout that is kind of similar, but it's a little bit different, is find a cable pull machine and set it so it's as high up in the air as you can get, and then get under it and away from it and get on one knee and then pull the cable pull down light with one hand like you're doing a uh, freestyle pull. And when I was showing Kai this, his immediate uh, reaction was to um, keep his elbow low. This is a lot of people's normal reaction. And pull it down. And I said, no, 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 no. First thing you do is... Oh, and you got to get your head below the line of the cable as if you're uh, streamlined. You just do one arm at a time. And pull, push down with the palm of your hand and keep your elbow high. And then once the palm of your hand starts getting under your elbow, then pull your elbow to your side and then keep pushing down with your uh, palm. And this mimics the exact motion that you should be doing in swimming. High elbow, push down with your palm, then pull your, uh, your hand uh, past and under your elbow and then past your hips and do that one side and then when that side is resting to recover after like 8 to 12 reps then go do the other side and you do these back and forth and the next thing you know you've got <clears throat> crazy crazy strong lats uh, crazy strong pull and um, this was my technique that I was doing uh, that in the lat pull down that um, I was doing uh, to become a, a state finalist uh, freestyle sprinter just in high school. And then um, another one is the drag shoot. So this drag shoot costs 20 bucks, something like that. And you can get one online. Finesse makes a really nice one. And you clip this thing around your waist and, and uh, as you swim, it creates so much resistance, it's unreal. Uh, they make a, a medium and a large. If you're a big person and you're already a good swimmer, uh, large is, is fine. And if you get the small one and then you find it's not good, then, you know, you can always upgrade to the large without, uh, I mean, they're so cheap. But you um, do sets. Just kind of, I was saying where you um, do a few minutes with uh, going hard. Well, you can do a few minutes with a drag shoot. You do like 100 yards, 200 yards, work your way up to 300 yards. And this drag shoot creates so much resistance that you have to pull yourself along and um, it builds up your strength. 
And the whole thing is, is every time, every time you do something harder than what you need to do, um, then when you actually do what you need to do, it seems easy and it increases your cruising speed, which is perfect for a long distance try. All right, I'll be back in just a second. All right, we are back. Okay, a little bit of a news flash here I just saw on Instagram, but because of Instagram's uh, whatever their most important thing first feed instead of uh, chronological, I didn't get a chance to look at the date. Jody Swallow, uh, Jody Kanamanama, Kanamanama, Banabada, <laughs> had a baby. She even posted a baby. It's still got blood on it. And, uh, yeah, a picture of her holding the baby. She looks a little out of it. Uh, I wanted to write back harder than an Iron Man <laughs> because uh, Emily said that the uh, half Iron Man she did was uh, harder than uh, giving birth. And Emily was in labor for like five, six days, almost a week, off and on. And uh, so you never know. Depends on the person, I guess. And so that's our little news flash. Okay, to wrap up swimming, I got things jostling around in my car here. To wrap up swimming, the last two major things are, um, I guess, wetsuits and goggles, like your equipment out there. Uh, speed suits, I don't know. You just kind of whatever. Uh, yeah, they they save a ton of time, but also it's um, super fast uh, or super expensive, and then. Uh, get kind of torn up with those things anyway um, or those things can get torn up and you lost it and the thing about wetsuits is they're hard to get the right fit so a few years ago I came across something really cool and I wish I had it for my Lake Tahoe swim but I didn't yet um, is the DeSoto wetsuit so a DeSoto wetsuit comes in two pieces. There's a top and then the bottom just looks like uh, overalls and then you know the bottom part. And then what this allows you to do is um, not worry so much about the fit. It's gonna fit more likely than before. Um, and then they are kind of expensive compared to other some other wetsuits, but what I have is by, by the time you do this one option, uh, it's cheaper. And I have a long sleeve top and I have a vest top. So those, so now I have two wetsuits for the price of like one and a half. <laughs> and then I can wear the same bottoms and overall thing. It's all one unit, that thing. And then have a, um, and just switch out the top based on how cold the water is. And I also, uh, well, the thing is, is because they're separate, the they don't pull up on your crotch so much. And if you're tall, a DeSoto wetsuit is a must because I have somewhere in storage an Xterra one-piece, or no, two times U one-piece, um, that is, well, both that and I have an Xterra. I have a two times U sleeved one piece and I have an Xterra uh, one piece uh, sleeveless. And both of them, because my, I'm tall, the shoulders pull up on the crotch and the crotch makes it, pulling pull it into your junk, makes it feel like you're doing the entire swim, like you're uh, riding uh, 
crossways on a split rail fence. <laughs> you almost like seat cross-eyed because of the, uh, the tension of it pulling up on your crotch. And uh, the DeSoto wetsuits don't do that because there is no connection between the top and the crotch. So it's not pulling up. It's pretty cool. It's really, really smart. And then also you get better shoulder rotation and all that other stuff. But the other thing I wanted to say is when you're doing um, wetsuit swims, I mean, your arms are getting a ton of movement. You're working out your arms, so they get they get hotter because those are the muscles that are getting the work anyway. So over the years, my threshold for what it takes to wear a full-sleeved wetsuit has gone way down, like, or way colder. Um, because I know they say that sleeved is faster no matter what. I honestly don't believe it. I think it makes you have to use your arms more um, to move that extra rubber around. And sleeveless is faster. And on all my races, the times I've worn sleeveless, I've always been faster. Uh, my last Ironman was a 59 minute, like a 59 flat or something like that. 59 minute uh, Ironman uh, sleeveless DeSoto. And it was fantastic. It was in a cold lake up in Canada. And uh, it was great. So uh, it feels cold on your arms at first. But your arms don't contain your lungs or your liver or your stomach. So if your arms get cold, big freaking whoop. You know, it doesn't really matter that much. Uh, next is goggle choices. So one, always bring back up goggles. Two, what color goggles? Um, over the years, again, I have decided to just go with clear goggles as my choice because if you're not sure what's going to happen on race morning and you never really are, uh, clear is your safest bet. Because if it's glary, you can just squint. But if it's overcast, dark, foggy, and you have any kind of tint on your goggles whatsoever, um, it's going to be harder to see uh, the buoys. And so I've learned over time just to go with clear. I use uh, Kymans, Aquasphere Kymans, because they're soft silicone, and uh, they tend to fit pretty good. And good goggles um, are really, are really not that expensive. It's like the one thing in triathlon that's not overpriced. <laughs> I guess because you can use them. You're basically using swim goggles anyway. Um, and then uh, on the goggles, the other thing is if you get clear goggles or whatever color lenses you get, also try to get goggle, goggles. Goggles where the frames around the lenses is is uh transparent as well um because in open water swimming you got people all around you and the more you can see in your periphery the better and so you don't want things over your eyes like sockets so that you can only see straight ahead through little tunnels um even though you can't really see through the frame so much you still see light and dark and shapes and that will inform you that there is somebody uh, coming up next to you and about to hit you uh, faster than if you didn't have uh, these little transparent goggles things on the side. All right. That's it. 
All right, that is it for the 50 tips. I started off with like 40, 45, but as I was going, I thought of a few things. So we're going to round it up to 50. The 50 different tips that I've learned over all these years for uh, swim, bike, and run. Let's go ahead and wrap up the show with our list of uh, show donors and sponsors, and uh, we can wrap this baby up. All right, hold on. All right, we are back. Let's go ahead and do our show donations. So you can help support Zen and the Art of Triathlon two different ways. One is to go to zentriathlon.com and on the left-hand side, there are links, PayPal links to help uh, support the show with donations. So you can do a one-time donation. That's very, very cool. Any amount you want. And another way is you can do a a recurring donation uh, once a month. And I've got it set to, I think it's $3.99. So it's like a dollar or two per episode. And that is another great way to support the show. And if you donate, I read your name on the air. And here we go. The last batch of donors includes M. Webb, Spiros Fetsis, Joseph Deber, Tyler Moyer, Rick Foster, Curtis Fossen, Dwayne Morin, Derek Riddell. I think he's new. Brett Hoyer. What is up, Brett? The coolest first name in triathlon. Uh, Michael Radogna, Daniel Clemens, Karen Jackson, Simon Wright, Pablo Cacho, and William Smith, Justice Phillips. I'm walking around the house right now. I'm moving to another room with a little bit less echo. William Smith, Justice Phillips, Jonathan Woodman. By the way, Justice, what a cool first name. Second coolest name in triathlon. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, John Mulan, Katie Joe, James Godek, Hans Henrik Madsen. Where are you from, Hans? That sounds like um, Denmark or something. Uh, Peter Salzen, Matthew Heinz. Michael Wilkinson, and Allison Frutos, and Matthew Froese. And what's what's really cool, um, earlier in the episode, I think I talked about, I was messing around with some computer testing and stuff. I'm on a, um, I don't know who makes, HP makes this one, but it's like a Microsoft Surface. Uh, it's a tablet. Uh, it's one of these laptops where the, um, the uh, keyboard breaks off. And then you can turn the remaining you know, screen into a tablet mode and turn it on its end and everything. And it's touch screen. And oh my gosh, man, I'm coming from a MacBook Air, which is non-touch screen. No Macs are touch screen yet. And uh, this, this is so great. I've, I've messed with these before. We use them for work. And um, now I've got one here in my hands. And I'm scrolling through this list by touching the screen. Back, oh, it's so good. It's just so nice. Okay, then let's see. Another way to help support the show is Hornet Juice. Hornet Juice is a super-duper long-time sponsor of the show. And what it is, is a, it's an amino acid, so a protein powder mix that you add to your fuel, which is great because I've been trying to teach you guys and gals out there to uh, make your own fuel to save money. Um, and then maybe maybe do like store-bought during a race or something like that. But in general, make your own fuel to save money. And one way to add protein to it is, because uh, I'm always talking about maltodextrin, which is carbs, and then more carbs. <laughs> you 
you could do MCT oil or something. Still, that's not protein. You want to add protein to it, then Hornet juice is perfect because it is a um, it's an amino acid that is specially formulated to um, turn on fat burning. Uh, it's a ratio of certain amino acids to each other, and it's the ratio and the amino acids that they picked that has been found to greatly boost fat burning. And the stuff is awesome. It makes you feel like you're uh, running on a diesel engine. You don't feel hyped up like you're on caffeine, but you just notice when you go on longer workouts that you can just keep going and going and going at a higher level than you were before. Feeling really, really good. So anyway, you can get that on the right side of Zen Triathlon. When you scroll down and look at some of our sponsors, you can see a link. It's like uh, purple and yellow, and it's for Hornet juice. And then you click on that, and you can get either a 10-pack or a 20-pack of Hornet juice. And doing so, uh, a little tiny bit comes off the top back to Zentri uh, from them. And you get an email from me that says, Howdy. <laughs> and I wrote it myself. I figured I'd put a little touch of Texas on there. And it says, Howdy. You just ordered some Hornet juice. It's on its way. Now, it does take a few extra days because it comes from New Zealand, so you just got to be a little bit patient. But it's fun. It's cool. It's kind of a novelty item that actually does work. It's really, really neat. I get uh, replies from people all the time that are like, holy crap, this stuff really does work. It's absolutely amazing. Yes, it does work. All right. So let's see. I think we need to wrap up the show and get this one out there. Uh, just a comment on uh, plantar fasciitis training and healing. Um, I've been, uh, uh, you know that there's so much to the psychology of sport and uh, you got to uh, be training for something you really want to do or else training becomes torture. And why am I doing this? It's not fun anymore. And if you pay attention, if you do the Zen thing and just pay attention to how things make you feel, you know, you can steer your life to having a much better life. So many of us, we just go through life without paying attention and we just think we have to do things. But no, if you pay attention, you can notice the how just not how things make you feel, but ideas make you feel and how that can change your life. So I was running and I was like, started thinking about um, the Rocky Raccoon, you know, it's trail run. Uh, it comes in a fit. There's a 50K, which is like 32 miles. And then there's a 50 miler and then a hundred miler. And my feet seem to be, they're progressing fantastically. They're not hundred percent healed, but they are getting so much better. And while I was running, I was kind of like, eh, I'm running the same old route. Da, 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 da. And then I started thinking about, um, I want, what if I sign up to do the Rocky Raccoon and it's three loops of like 18 miles to do the 50 miler. Uh, I sign up, it's a hundred bucks, it's 95 bucks right now. And then I, um, what happens if I go and sign up? And then, yeah, you know, because it's loops, if, if uh, at least do one loop, it'd be worth a hundred bucks just to do one loop, to be out in the woods and be with the scene and all that stuff and have a lot of fun. And um, it's like a victory lap that my feet are healing and I'm back on track. And as soon as I started thinking about that, my attitude and my mood towards my run completely changed. Now my run had a purpose that I, it was like fun. So the next set, the next hill and hills, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I need to run up these a little bit harder because I'm training for something 
I hadn't signed up for anything, right? But I'm just like, in my mind, I'm, I'm like, oh, I've got a goal, I've got a target. And you could just, you know, something that you want to do, you know? And then, um, because I'm running on the street, and the Rocky Raccoon is, uh, you know, it's a trail run, so you can trip and fall and all kinds of good stuff. Um, I was, I was like, historically, what I've always done is run more on the curbs and if i'm running over like medians that have grass in them and stuff like that i'll run over those i gotta be a little bit careful because it was dark but i started doing that i started i started running on the edges of things and running up over things um uh and it felt great and i noticed you know like i'm so inspired and i so want to do something that now it's changing my my behavior and i'm excited about about, um, I'm now running completely differently, you know, running uh, on, because what you're trying to do is, what you need to do is like challenge your ankles for the twists and turns of rocks and roots and stuff like that. So, and I will go do more real trail running. We've got a new trail running facility that's um, a park that's open near here. That's perfect. But my point is, is while I'm running on the street, I still do more challenging technical stuff, you know, because I'm excited and I'm like, oh, I'm going to train for that. (laughs) Then I started thinking, oh, I could get out the weight vest and start running with that. And then I was like, calm down, Brett. <laughs> you are healed. You're not healed yet. So, and if I do it, you know, it's still two, two months away. So we'll see, you know. And my long run now is only 12 miles. So if I do, if I increase like half a, mi- half a mile to a mile per, per week, you know, then I'll be up to like 18. And uh, I could do one loop of the thing and be... Um, happy you know maybe more who knows but um uh, anyway that's been my experience with uh just in the past couple days of um of uh of the psychology of training and the reason i'm passing this on to you is look for that in yourself um you know when i was training for ironman canada i was so excited you know because we're going to go to Canada and, and it's like, what am I going to, you know, I had this puzzle to figure out this big mountain to, uh, to try to climb on the bike. And then, um, and then there was like a long flat section and I knew how to go, how to go train for that. Cause we, we have a section around here that's like super flat that I could go train on. And, um, when I was training for the ultra baby, um, my self-supported Ultraman, I was like, so excited, you know, because I was planning the course and trying to make the course super uh, technical and, and or uh, super um, as hilly as I could possibly find around here. And the um, all these little things were making it challenging. And uh, if you want to continue um, doing triathlon as a lifetime sport, uh, which you can do, you need to um, make sure that you don't do too much and you don't um, start signing up for races just because they exist and you're just doing them just because. Um, find things that motivate you and then all of a sudden it's just a completely different sport. It's a beautiful sport that you're in love with and it all has to do with picking races or making your own races, events, whatever, um, that you find, you can tell. You know, you're just like, it's like if you were shopping for cars or something and you're like, no, 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 oh yeah. (laughs) 
I want that, you know? Like, that's a cool car. I want I want to save up some money for that. And then you start saving, right? And it's exciting. You can imagine yourself in it. It's the same thing. A good race, a race that you're perfect for would be like that. And there's a lot of different combinations, you know? It's the location. It's um, uh, the convenience is cool. Um, uh, another thing I can think of is, well, the distance can be something that you really want to do. Um, another one, so like the Rocky Raccoon, you know, it's, it's back to trail running, it's back to a long distance. And then um, another factor would be the people that are there, like you're excited about meeting some people um, and the, the social aspect of it and all that stuff. All right, next episode, I haven't really decided on yet. Um, I'm sure we'll cover some uh, training psychology and some gear as always. I've got somebody that's um, a new, relatively new triathlete that went from doing no triathlons to an Ironman, I think in like two years. And uh, we might uh, interview him living in San Diego. Uh, we just got a whole bunch of different stuff, which would be really cool. All right. Everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down. Out. <laughs>